Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics podcast for the Savage Critics website. Recovering from our tryptophan-induced comas, here comes Graham McMillan and I with episode 108, with over two hours and 20 minutes of funny book-related talk and confusion. Topics under discussion this time around include the James Gunn controversy, comic culture, threat or menace, discussions of Bleeding Cool Magazine number one, Marvel Now books like the first relaunched issues of Captain America, FF and the Indestructible Hulk, the second issues of Iron Man, All-New X-Men, and The Uncanny Avengers, the 598th issue of Amazing Spider-Man, Bendis' last issues on Avengers, Grant Morrison's most recent issues of Batman Incorporated in Action Comics, 10 volumes of Vaccaro No Go, the first issue of Masks, Multiple Warheads No. 2, Flash 14, Angel and Faith, and much, much more. It is everything you would want in a comics podcast, unless you also wanted us to talk about Angus T. Jones and Two and a Half Men, because sadly... We decided to cut that shit. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thanks for listening. Well, the weather outside is frightful, but Blaster is so delightful. (laughs) (laughs) You've already downloaded this podcast, or are possibly streaming it through the internet application of your choice. Let it wait what? Let it wait what? Let it wait what? You know, the worst part is, as delightful as that holiday message is, and relevant to all, I'm sure, you totally had the uh, perfect timing and pausing of an experienced (laughs) air steward. (laughs) I was totally like, perhaps part of it is the tone of you speaking close to the mic, but it it just totally struck me. I'm like, yeah, you're always on the plane, and there's that moment where they stop speaking for a, a pause for too goddamn long and you don't know what's going on and then they finish and it's something totally completely baffling to you it was well done sir well done thanks it's the first of our our special holiday introductions (laughs) because this of course will be released in december yes we're recording it in the dying days of november but it will be released in december and everyone will have the holiday season on their mind I know that everyone will have stopped listening to Andy Williams specifically to listen to this. <laughs> so, I thought, you know, why not really ease them into it? I gotta admit, Graham, your 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 eye uh, is ever on the prize. It's on the seasonal prize. Yes. Indeed. Indeed. Well done. Who <laughs> oh, my... Uh, hey, how's it going? You having an existential crisis this week? Uh, I am actually, for the most part, existential crisis free. I'm, oh, well, give it, give it some time. Give it some time. I'm Stop. sure by the end of the podcast, we'll get into at least two small existential crises, perhaps. Perhaps a, a nihilistic complex will kick in. Um, yeah, no. I, well, I mean, apart from the fact that, of course... I've got a writing deadline that's kind of crushing me that I am far behind on. But saying something like that to you is always just a recipe for disaster. Because uh, I no, no, no. Because I was I was thinking about this earlier. Yeah. Uh, my writing and your writing. Mm-hmm. It's easier to do my writing, Jeff. <laughs> I don't. I don't think so, Graham. No, I don't I, think so. I, I really, really, really do. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> They're two very different types sure. of things. Yeah. Let's put it. But that I, way. I think. I think uh, what I do is easier than what you're doing. Mm. 
Or at least it's easier to generate more works, oh, shall we say. Lord. Well, I mean, yes, but even in that regard, you are you are just terrifying, sir. And I mean that as a compliment, but uh, I have no doubt that you probably, because the holiday weekend was last weekend, which meant that you had to take some time off to enjoy the holidays and actually wanted to do so. <laughs> last week was hilarious, because even though I took time off... <laughs> Mm-hmm. I actually eat stuff on the internet every single day. <laughs> Apart from Thursday. So I think Thursday is only eight day I didn't. Right. Um, but because of that, I had to work like triply hard See, on Monday, yeah. Tuesday, Wednesday. Yeah, exactly. So that I could take uh, Thursday, Friday off. Mm-hmm. And so, like, if, for example, if you would talk to me on Wednesday, I, and Kate will assess this, I couldn't really do sentences. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you've mentioned you get into that zone, right? You, where you've written so much that you just sort of start talking f- fragmentedly, I suppose. Yeah, I just I can't really, I can't really process information to begin with. Like people are talking to me, and it's one of those things where I'm understanding each individual word, but I don't really understand what <laughs> happens when you put them together. <laughs> um, and then my responses are equally bad. It's just like, uh, yeah, huh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. Okay, yeah. Always that, love that. As good as it gets. And, and they're like, what do you mean, yeah? That was not a yes or no question. And you're like, oh, God. What you wanted for dinner? And I'll be like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so your deadline's killing you? Yeah, deadline's killing me. Because I really had the, at the beginning of the week, I'm like, oh, I think I can finish this by the end of this week. And I just managed to poop away so much of my free time. That's what you do. You like you always. I'm the same. I go into the weekend. I'm like, okay, I've got a game plan. Right. It's going to involve me just getting shit done, and then end the week. I won't be killing myself to get shit done. Right. I'll get shit done consistently throughout the week. Yeah. Because that's the way these things will work out. And then all of a sudden, like it's Thursday, and you think, oh crap. Yeah, I know. Yeah, uh, I suppose as long, as long as we're talking about celebrities and their wacky behavior, do you want to talk about the James Gunn thing? Do you think that seems at all uh, worthwhile? I'm thinking since it's comics. It's uh, I don't know what to make of the James Gunn thing. Go, Jeff. Talk about- <laughs> I love how especially agonized you sound like. It's like, oh, James Gunn is coming over to dinner. This is really awkward. Um over and then he's going to talk about trying to turn all my lesbian friends. It's, it's going to be hard. I know. Uh, I don't know. I'm I'm really I'm really torn because everyone seems to be overreacting. I guess. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I've got this weird kind of like, uh, kind of like, eh, like sort of like it seemed really like having read the post thanks to the miracle of Google Cash. And I guess here's where we get to tell everyone, Graham, your turn to give everyone context. <sighs> <laughs> No. Uh, okay. <laughs> no. Gone two years ago. Wrote a uh, wrote a is it fifty superheroes I want to fuck list? Uh, the fifty most fuckable superheroes. Because I think what happened was everyone, it, it, people uh, on his blog or who followed his blog, he it took voted on it. So he's just listing like survey results and sort of writing it up. And uh, and when he wrote this list up, he added editorial commentary. Mm-hmm shall we say, that was somewhat questionable in tone. Right. The question now is whether... Basically, how serious his commentary was. Yeah. 
the commentary is genuinely objectionable. Yes. Uh, and the question it really has become did he mean it or was he satirizing others who do this sort of thing seriously? Yeah, you know. And he's remaining remarkably quiet about it. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, which kind of makes me think, huh, maybe Disney are telling him to shut the fuck up. Oh, <coughs> yeah, I think so. I think they're kind of just hoping that this this will blow away. Because it hasn't, it hasn't gotten any bigger than the comics press, as far as I know, right? Uh, I. S- no, it has. Has it? Oh, okay. Like Hollywood Reporter and Variety and shit right now. Oh, really? Have picked up on it? Oh, my. Okay. Um, but what is I don't know it's it's the thing that's sort of driving me mad is it's two years ago mm-hmm. it only came out yesterday mm-hmm. um which in itself is kind of weird mm-hmm. um it came through the Mary Sue, which is the abrams uh geek website mm-hmm. pretty much as soon as the Mary Sue picked up on it mm-hmm pulled from his site right um, again after two years mm-hmm, mm-hmm. he's remained remarkably quiet but both sides of I, when I say both sides of people reacting if the initial wave was how could he say this oh my god this is terrible mm-hmm. that was then followed by he was joking what are you stupid stop telling him to shut up and trying to cover up free speech <laughs> and like every level it just got more and more outrageous right um, and to the point where, like, I don't know about you, but my Twitter feed is full of people having fights about this. Yeah, I didn't know about it until it popped up on, on my Twitter feed, and thank God somebody actually linked to it there, so I was able to get up to speed. Because I, I just have not been especially present uh, on, on Twitter recently since I've been busy um, convincing myself that I'm if I <laughs> as long as I don't go to Twitter and yet don't write I'm still somehow being productive I don't know how that's working out I guess but um, but that didn't stop me from actually reading reading up on this um, and yeah people are kind of heated about it I guess huh yeah but I don't know I don't I don't know if I've just gotten so cynical to the point where I'm just like it's not worth getting this upset about because a Disney probably doesn't care mm. Mm-hmm. And B, what do you actually want to happen at this point? Right. Do you know what I mean? Like the people who are like, he should not be allowed to make the movie. I don't. I guess I don't understand how that's punishment or how that would make him change his opinions if that's what his opinions are. Right. It it feels much weird. It feels much more. Um, this is my entertainment, and I don't want you to sully it. I guess mm-hmm. than actually being upset about him saying the, the things well it's also sort of there is part of me that's like eh, I mean I know I'm not up to speed but I'm like it's Guardians of the Galaxy you know I kind of have this thing of like if he'd said those statements and then he was doing like the Batwoman movie or if he was doing I don't like, know, Dazzler or you know if he was for Wonder Woman mm-hmm. and they were like oh and then he said this mm-hmm mm-hmm but again, I think I don't know. I just I get this weird. I kind of just want to ignore it. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, I could tell when I brought it up. You were like, "Oh no!" And and that's 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 it's just weirdly cyclical. Mm-hmm. 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 I don't know. You know, I it it I found it interesting because I really was like kind of 
you know, I was like, what the hell could be going on with James Gunn? I mean, this is the guy who, I, as I, rec- I recall him, like, talking about his whole, like, isn't he the guy who, who like, talks about how he likes to um, do all these special things so that he can shoot huge loads during sex? That doesn't, that's not going to ring any bells for you, is it? No, it totally doesn't. I'm sorry. I... <laughs> Graham, trust me. Just go to your Google browser now and type in James Gunn, huge loads. Good to do? Yeah. Um, Take take off safe search before you do this. Of course, because otherwise I might not get the right result. Exactly. Um, But what... The one thing that's interesting to me is that James Gunn's the guy behind uh, Lollipop Chainsaw. Mm -hmm. Oh, God, he is? Right. Being like, oh my god, this is appalling, and everyone's like, oh, lighten up, buddy. This is satirical sex, <laughs> right? Well, I, but that like kind of sticks with me now because it's like, so okay, so if that was satirical sexism, why isn't this satirical sexism? What's the difference? Right. Or now that you've seen this, right. does that change your mind about Lollipop Chainsaw? Well, and didn't James Gunn also do? He did that series of shorts, wasn't it? That was like porno movies without the sex. Wasn't that the stuff that he like wrote and directed those as well? Um, yes. No. Hello. Yes. I'm saying yes. Can you not hear me? No, I couldn't. I couldn't quite hear you. It's. I, I'm assuming that it's because my my microphone took a is dead, and I'm using my stupid headset. But you've got a. You're a little more touch and go than you've been in the last couple of admittedly stellar weeks that we've been doing this so i'm a, i'm a little spoiled in that regard can you hear me okay i can okay well great so yes i apologize if i'll make you uh, repeat yourself uh, it's it's i'm not trying to <laughs> i'm not trying to browbeat you into a conclusion or something say yes say yes <laughs> i guess i'm just saying that for the guy who and, and what's weird is I follow his career without really following him, so I could be 90% wrong, but for the guy who I think wrote the Dawn of the Dead remake for uh, Zack Snyder and then wrote and directed Slither and then did porn stars without the sex, or porn movies without the sex, and also talked about blowing huge loads all over the place, I, I feel like he kind of has... A certain degree of, I don't know, how do I put this? Like he's a, uh, like his he he does douchey entertainment, I suppose, for lack of a better term. You know, like do do you remember when a weird standing of being a sort of objectionable dick, but that being a shtick? Right, right, exactly. You know, and it it. It sort of reminds me of when everybody lost their minds when uh, Tracy Morgan uh, was, you know, on stage at a comedy fest and and said a, a bunch of horrible homophobic things, and you know, a lot of people were really upset, and there were a number of notable comedians who were like, you know what, that's that's kind of the space, you know, there is kind of this weird like he's on stage, he's doing a character he's testing out bits you know and and comedy is a little bit about you you have to you run the risk of being truly awful and terrible to get to some re- some really true stuff now i mean that does end up that you end up with guys who are pretty awful generally that that might be gen- you know generally horrible human beings but it seems to me like at that point 
I don't know. It, it is just this kind of thing of like, yeah, this this is who this person is, I suppose. You know, but, like. But then it gets to what uh, I saw Rachel Edden say yesterday, which is also, if you're saying this stuff as comedy, mm-hmm. if people don't recognize it as comedic, mm-hmm. like does that does your intent? matter i guess that only i can only cut that so much slack because i do remember i think on the one hand that sort of because she did frame it in the context of like look at how bad this industry is essentially and if you can't recognize that it's satire if people can't tell or not that says something really horrible and how you might be contributing to it but i also feel like there's also people who don't have senses of humor, you know what I mean? And no, always no, will, it's, it's, you know. It's, it's very difficult to say, well, you can't say that because I don't find it funny. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? That, right. that, that is in itself right. a very, not somewhere that you want to be. Yeah, exactly. You, know, you don't want to be the arbiter of taste. Yeah, 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 yeah. Although I'm sure that many people do want to be the arbiter of taste. <laughs> That's right. Um, and we do not. Um, but I don't know, I just... Uh, I don't know, I find it a very complex and exhausting topic mm-hmm. I guess mm-hmm. and one which I have absolutely no desire to engage in <laughs> poor Graham well yes okay well I think that I think that's fine I think we both um, I think our, our official position then it seems to be the same which is sort of a hand wringing abstain <laughs> and yeah it's a sort of like what are you going to do but at the same time it's terrible right Right. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like, oh god! But at the same time, I don't see anyone trying to make it better. Uh, yeah. How do you mean I make? Think, right. I think even the people who are trying to quote unquote make it better mm-hmm. are making it worse. <laughs> right. Right. Because the, the, because it it closes down discussions. Mm-hmm. Closes mm-hmm. down avenues of discussion. Right. And creates the idea of uh, this is the correct way to have this conversation, or this is the appropriate way to approach the subject. Mm-hmm. And I think that is again, you don't want to be the arbiter of taste. You don't want to be the person who makes a decision like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's a, a good thing. I don't think that's a healthy thing. Right. You know, I I I I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I guess I will co-sign on that, yeah, I don't know, uh, uncomfortable noises. Because, um, yeah, I just, it, it struck me as an interesting little sort of like out of nowhere sort of thing. I, it, in in theory, it's, even though we've talked it around in circles, yes? It, is it out of nowhere? Um, I'm connected with the, at this point, weekly. Um, cycle of outrage? Yeah, but... Mm-hmm. Specifically, cycle of gendered outrage. Outrage. Mm. Yeah. Well, simply gender, as much as the idea that the comic book culture is inherently misogynist. Mm. Yeah. Um, right. Right. I think you have somewhere that. Are you going to make this as your transition to talk about the Marvel Now stuff, or no? I I totally wasn't. No, I wasn't even thinking about the Marvel Now stuff. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, no. Me too. What's that? Do you want me to? Yes, I mean, if it's a good tie-in, by all means, because I, I don't... I, I, you Here's know. the thing. Mm-hmm. You have not read the two books that prompted this thing in mind, as far as I know, which are Red She-Hulk and Journey into Mystery. Right, I've read neither of those yet. 
both of them have, to my mind, the same underlying theme, mm-hmm. which are here are these women who have incredible power, mm-hmm. which is comparable to their male counterparts. Colon, bitches is crazy. <laughs> really? Bitches is crazy seems to be the thematic uh, content to it? It isn't, it isn't. Uh, Red She-Hulk is all about basically the the um, the authorities' distrust of Red She-Hulk mm-hmm. who is using her power as an independent agent. Mm-hmm. And cannot be trusted. Mm-hmm. Journey into Mysteries is very clearly Sif is given power and it drives her insane. Hmm. And there's just something weird about like the Marvel's two solo female books. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A theme of these women have power and it is somehow scary. Yeah. And on one hand, it's kind of like, well, that's, you know, really smart, because that's how the world reacts to women with power. But I just wish there was a balance, I guess. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I, I know exactly what you mean. I Weirdly enough... Um, I should say that. No, I Like, I actually enjoy both books. Mm-hmm. I just... that There there was, a, I don't know, a third book, I guess? Or, or some form of corrective to this. Right. Well, you've read Kelly Sue's Captain Marvel. It's not a bitches be crazy kind of theme to it, is it? Completely forgot about Captain Marvel. There is a corrective. You're right. Okay. Uh, I was. It's it's you know it's tough because it didn't necessarily get. I don't think it got relaunched for this whole Mar- Marvel it, now stuff. It's so old. it's still old Marvel. Marvel. <laughs> Marvel. Marvel olds, as we call them. Uh, you know, it, it's, I don't know. I know, I do know what you mean. I do know what you mean. I, it, uh, unfortunately, it's going to be very hard for me to sort of talk, like I said, as you point out, not only because I haven't read those books, but, um, also just my Marvel reading has been slight. There, there were like, uh, several people provided some very valuable codes that allowed me to, that, that will allow us to talk about some stuff, uh, some, that came out from Marvel really more last week than this week. But, but I, I, I don't know. I found that there is, um, there's a weird, crappy mindset that is like, how do I put this? I read. Well, actually, it doesn't tie into this. I right before we right before we uh, got online, I was flipping through uh, the first issue of Bleeding Cool magazine. Oh, and, that's good because I also have that, and I really wanted to talk to you about it. Oh, good. I'm glad I did a very fast flip through. But flipping through that list of the top hundred most powerful people in comics was really depressing. You know, um, and it was like. I don't know. It was just there was just so many pictures of of white guys with jowls that you can look at before you set some monoculture at work. You know? Yes, yes. It's it's kind of horrible, isn't it? Yeah, it really was. It was just flipping through it, and I mean, admittedly, as somebody who's been like you know a comic nerd from way back, like back in the seventies, and therefore, I think I have to really. Um, I I should be 
looked at carefully to make sure that I'm just not engaging in transference and in sort of um, self-hating, I guess, you know. But I really just was uncomfortable. These guys, it was just flipping through page after page of it. And I was there was just kind of a, a like... Well, no wonder. It's not even the fact that they were just all white guys. It just, they all seem to be variations on the same white guy, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's um, true. It's, but I mean, that's a screwy ass list. Well, it is a screwy ass list. I mean, it really is. Uh, it's worth pointing out there are only five women in that entire list. I was going to point it, and the Three first of them one. work for DC Comics. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, part of me is just like, I don't know what Rich was thinking, because I think the first one, who's Diane Nelson comes in at like number 29 or something like that yeah it's we- it's it's a really like it's a list that does not stand up to any idea of scrutiny if you're actually looking at a list of powerful people in comics right right well it you has know, it had some interesting names in it admittedly but sure but at the same time you're telling me that diane nelson who is the president of dc entertainment is somehow less powerful than bob wayne oh yeah well yeah, right. Right. It's, it seems unlikely. She could fire Bob Wayne, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, 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 no. I see it. I just, I was sort of like, it's kind of interesting because I was like, I have trouble believing that Diane Nelson is less powerful than Ted Adams. You know, well, I have oh, trouble Richardson. believing that she's... She's a full l- ten places beneath Mike Richardson. Yeah, between Mike Richardson, but, you know, she's 22 spots, she's 12 spots below Tom Brevoort. Like, I I just, I don't really, this list was, I mean, admittedly, it was oh, goddamn... That Thomas Tull. Yes, which is just a hugely... Who's number eight. Yeah, list, and I wonder how many people who listen to this actually know who Thomas Tull is without having to Google him. Yeah, 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 yeah. I I had to I had to recheck that. Is in like, wait, what? Like, yeah. I mean, there are just bad choices on here, but that one in particular. Yeah, I mean, God bless him. But the idea that Jonah Wheeland is more important than is more powerful than Diane Nelson, uh, it is seems strikes me as pretty laughable. So, um, hey, don't forget. Rich does place himself in there as more powerful than Kate Beaton. (laughs) (laughs) And Gary Groth, for that matter, which is kind of, you know, uh, or James Lucas Jones. So... Because, you know, Rich is much more powerful than the guy who... who runs? Let's see. The guy who runs Dark Horse. The guy who runs Sony. The guy who runs Fantagraphics. The guy who runs Fantagraphics. The editor in chief of IDW. Yeah, uh, I, and Milton Green. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just like it's a crazy list. It's a list that does not stand up to scrutiny. <laughs> not even slightly. All. Yeah. yeah. Lady Girl Magazine has to be said. It's kind of a mess, right? It's it, not just me. No, it can't just be you. I picked it up, and I remember the zero issue, and I, I did. I picked this up, and I was kind of like, oh, yeah, I'm, I don't know what I was hoping for, but, I mean, it's bad. I love that on it, the price guide. What I was guide, hoping for, like, on a very basic level? Yeah. That it would not just look like someone has printed out a website. That there would be some level of design. There are things you can do with design in print, people. Oh, believe me. And as far as I can tell, Rich has discovered the main one, which is putting the full-page ad for the product that you're then doing a full-page profile on. 
I drive you mad too. Well, I sort of liked it in the way of like what, how, how blatant it is. Yeah, it's it. Well, that's it. It's so blatant it almost deflects um, any sort of criticism. Like you can't turn around and go, "We'll say, well, clearly this person bought attention when when you put the ad right next to the article." If you tell me that charismatic the death princess deserve <laughs> five pages. <laughs> believe it I, you must be crazy <laughs> or the red 10 because let's face it who's not talking about the red 10 oh for a 10 sure into superhero retelling of Agatha Christie classics who's on it and then there were none but, just, oh, but not, not even that like it's a terrible te- terrible design the type is far too big and oh, yeah. makes you think they're padding this issue out and I've just paid five dollars for it yeah yeah like you could have exactly the same amount of content and just drop the type size a couple of t- uh, right sizes you'd be fine like it'd look better it it'd look better but you'd need more content you know no it wouldn't that's just just have more white space <laughs> I, I think they were afraid of that have every single bit of your page filled up. Yeah. You could have nice design with some white space. I know, I know. Th- this beautiful like quarter inch margins or whatever that's at the end there. It's hilarious. Yeah. I don't know. I'm is there a graphic designer listed? They should not be. There is. It's um Ariana Osborne. Oh no. Yeah, if I were her, I would have asked to have that taken off because well, it's terrible, terrible. Exactly. Like that's not my real name, and I'm still in high school. Um, yeah. Really bad. But I mean, it's not just that. I mean, the the V two Vendetta comedy article. Mm-hmm. It's oh, just terrible. But but that was come on. That was lit. I mean, at least I saw that one for what it was. Everything about that it's particular. Like a- but that was, oh shit, we have two pages we desperately need to fill. And here's something that's so incredibly anal that I am the only person in the world who thought about it. Mm-hmm. It drives me mad that he got Terry Kavanaugh's name wrong in that joke. Oh, did he? He calls it Trevor. And it's like, if you're making the joke that it's 1990s creators, just fucking Google their name. Oh, I know. I know. God, where was it where I saw that somebody like blew a name? Oh, I love that, I love that on the price guide, it says... Prices reflect raw, non-professionally graded sales, and then they didn't spell professionally correctly. They actually left uh, the second O out. I love that. Oh, no, my but God. There's also, okay, so in Kate Beaton's thing, where she's the 80th most powerful person in comics, yes. which she loves as well, by the mm. way. Does she? Um, it's the fact that it's like, she publishes a new installment of Park of Eagle every week. That's not been true for like three years. <laughs> Oh yeah, what was it—the thing where somebody was writing an Avengers comic, and I was—I was like, "Wait, they are." Is the new writer of the Avengers? <laughs> yeah, is Matt Fraction the new writer of the Avengers comics? I was like, "What? Like, like, is he trying to sneak a scoop in, or was this written like six months ago when that was a rumor?" I mean, it's before that he actually named correctly names Jonathan Hickman as the new writer of the Avengers comics. Wow, <laughs> it's it's just terribly done. Yeah. Or um, Dan Abnett, Andy Lanning, Paul Jenkins article that literally just stops and goes, <laughs> see Bloody Call Online for the full interview. <laughs> just stops. Like, there's no attempt to edit it into a, a like any sort of conclusion. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it's also, like, and that article is also filled with 
plugs for boom books. Oh yeah, no, not even an attempt to be mm-hmm. in any way. No, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like I was like, why does fanboys versus zombie? Like, yeah, it just totally. It's it's impressive. I mean, it's really. Um, Oh, I don't know, Graham. We're apparently on the wrong side of things, which is, which because it, it just seems like everyone's so heavily in um, avuncularly cynical mode. I guess like bleeding cool. I really was like, I was like, okay, there's going to be a little bit of this that's going to be um, Rich Johnsony. Yeah, Rich Johnsony. But you know, but I was kind of hoping for that in like the good, like the good and and worst senses of the terms. And it just really kind of just seemed like the worst for the most part. Yeah, that's the thing. I I I really wanted Bleeding Cool to be awesome mm-hmm. for many reasons, yeah. but most because I, I would love the idea of there being a really good print magazine about comics. Mm-hmm. I think that would be really good. I I think it'd be really healthy. Mm-hmm. And instead, we get this, which is just like weirdly amateurish. Yeah, oh, so badly amateurish. Yeah, I don't understand why? Because the people involved aren't amateurs, and I don't even mean that in the sense of they're getting paid for it, therefore they're professionals. Mm-hmm. I mean in the sense of like James Keurig does better writing online and has done writing elsewhere. Mm-hmm. You know, Rich has done better writing online. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know. It's the weirdest thing. It, it's... Because the first one was also kind of terrible. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a preview. They're right. working out the kinks. Yes, exactly. Exactly. It's, like, it's between it, and you're like, well, it'll, it'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, it really was not fine. It was it, not it was- fine at all. I'm so glad you read that, though, because I was honestly like, I kind of want to tell him to buy it so I can bitch about it. But <laughs> so I can bitch about it. So I'm so happy that you did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it, it was. I. It's. It's pretty. Pretty funny that. Um, oh Lord. Yes. Well. So listen. It's been 40 minutes. Should I call you back and then we can um, either review new comics or come up with more things to bitch about? Oh, no, there's definitely more things we can bitch about. Uh, yeah, let's do that. Although I do have lots of new comics, including all the new X-Men issue 2, which I bet you haven't read. I have not read, and I'm quite curious to hear hear about it. So, yeah, why don't, why don't, why don't I call you back in just one minute, and then we will, we will talk comics, including, um, including some Marvel Now books. Listeners, while Jeff plays the interstitial music, just imagine there's sleigh bells over it to get yourself in a hot <laughs> Hey, Grime, you've got the originals. If you want to, like, sit down in GarageBand and get some sampled sleigh bell action in there. Don't tempt me, Jeff Wesley. <laughs> Ed will be back. <laughs> And we're back. Just genius. Just genius. Uh, yes. So, um... So shall we go into all new X-Men issue 2? Please. Seeing as, you're, seeing as you're so excited? Tell me about it. Yes, and then, yes. Um, well, 
let's again start by pointing out that Stuart Eminem is really good. Mm-hmm. Again, the art is so far and away the high point of this issue. Um, it is almost offensive that Stuart Eminem is not just getting like medals thrown at him. Mm. Um, this is, however, much better than the first issue. Oh, good. Much, much better. It is still terrible <laughs> and makes no sense. Uh-huh. But it is so much better than the first issue. You could have started the series with this issue. And probably should have. That's a, a common complaint I have with Bendis, but okay. Um, where do you think the story gets to? You saw, you read the first issue. I and did. Let's, so we all know where this is going. So yes. where do you think the story gets to by the end of the Oh, man. I hope that it's got to move farther along than the X-Men agreeing to go back to the present with the Beast, because I can't oh, really it, imagine. It, What's that? that? Yeah, that's definitely happened. Oh, yeah. okay. Good, good, good. Um they've confronted it's like the two teams the old X-Men and the new X-Men are finally in confrontation with one another actually past that really yes Cyclops has slept with himself sadly not that's issue three. Oh, okay well actually if you look at the cover of issue four maybe it's issue four <laughs> Uh, it, it's so the plot of this issue is it mm-hmm. starts really early mm-hmm. with the new the old X Men coming to the future. Mm-hmm. Actually, I say really early, leaving through it right now. It's maybe ten pages in, so it's maybe half the book in. Um, they don't get to the are, future until halfway through uh, ten pages yeah. into the book. Okay, that's pretty bad. Yeah, and then they are immediately met mm-hmm. by the current X Men uh-huh. uh, in a confrontation that is immediately stopped by the beast collapsing today's beast hairy beast yes exactly Um, it is then revealed very quickly that he is dying because obviously he's dying Mm -hmm. Uh, and while they deal with the current X-Men deal with that problem the old X-Men steal the blackbird which they can somehow fly and head off to try and find new mutants to confront old new cyclops okay that's the end of the issue that's the end of the issue? That's the end of the issue. Oh, I thought you said that I got too far when it was the... the. Oh, I, I phrased it wrong. I meant the Cyclops, the no, old Cyclops no, team, no, the no, new no, Cyclops no, team. Oh, no, they're not confronting them yet. Oh, no. see, that's what, I, that's what I meant. And when you're like, no, way past that, I'm like, holy shit! You know, but... So, no, then not even as far as uh, that. It's yeah. funny, I knew that wasn't going to happen in the second issue either, which is just... So, how do they puff that out? Do they cut to a scene of new Cyclops and his new dudes? Like, there's, there's no new Cyclops in this issue at all. Is there any action? Apart yes. from, like, Beast falling the, over? Wolverine tries to attack the old X-Men, and Jean Grey stops him with her telekinesis. Why would he do that? Because, presumably, he thinks they're fakes or something. But he's he, the guy he, with the heightened senses. Why would yes. he think that? He smells them immediately, and he goes and attacks them. Because they smell too much like them, and therefore must be fakes? I guess. Who knows? <laughs> is what makes We have our ways. <laughs> is what makes this issue spectacular. Yes. The first appearance of Wolverine is him in a classroom, mm-hmm. where he's saying this to the class. No, what part don't you understand? If a ninja master confronts you head on, that means the other ninjas are going to attack you from the sides and from behind. A ninja master never confronts you unless he himself is the 
Wait. <laughs> Isn't that great? I actually really like that joke. That's really funny. That's uh, um, yeah. But yeah, that that is that and the art are the high points of this issue. Uh, again, you'll be happy to know Bendis is doing his traditional Bendis dialogue. Mm-hmm. Again, it's just does not make sense. <laughs> hey, can I say? And this is a bit of a derailment, but I have to say because this is one part. Hopefully, we'll come off more of a hooray for the future rather than just us me patting us on the back. But uh, a commenter, I think his name is Beezer, of course, like I'm me, I don't have the page open, said that uh, we were making fun of the dialogue, um, but that the dialogue was actually taken from the original X Men number eight. And I was I, like. I, but a comic professional also said that to me in email, and it really isn't, because if you have the Marvel Now app, as mm-hmm. you pointed, as you also found because you went back to the original comic, mm-hmm. the, Marvel, the, um, the Marvel AR app actually shows you the original page. Oh, nice. And it's, it's like six panels versus two pages, and the dialogue's completely different. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a little bit of him, especially towards the end, taking some of the little. The, the, Stanley's dialogue and breaking it out, but exactly the stuff that we were rolling our eyes and sort of uh, mocking because it was so bendicized was in fact pretty damn bendicized. Bendicized. yeah totally <laughs> bendicized. So um, I thought that was really interesting because, like I said, I, I I did get an email from a comic professional who, really? for all we know, might be Beezer. Maybe, maybe, Just, um, saying that same thing. Yeah, I was just really happy that because it was the future. Um, it was so easy for me because I have that disc. It was like, okay, hunting up those six panels, taking the screenshots, taking the screenshots of the two pages and actually uploading all that took maybe about 10 minutes. Um, and I was kind of like, hey, the future is awesome, you know, at least as far as it comes to Insta pop culture scholarship. It's, it's disproving what you're saying, haters. <laughs> No, all new X Men is it, it, the second issue is genuinely mm-hmm. so much better than the first issue, right? But it's still, I it's not even that I just can't see where the book is going. Mm-hmm. I can't see any reason for the book to exist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like we're two issues in, and really, it's a f- I don't know. It's a nice idea for a story being done terribly, I guess. Well, but that, I'm starting to think that sums up so much of Bendis' Marvel career. Because I will say, thanks to various whatnots, although I didn't get the the uh, super newest um, books that were out this week, uh, I did read Uncanny Avengers number two, which I, I should come back to. Uh, and thanks to Eric Reel, I read Avengers 34 and New Avengers 34. Oh, is, are those the final issues? I they they certainly seem to be yeah from from the way they end I I think that they they would have to be mm. so because one of the uncanny Avengers is not Bendis remember yes no that's why I skipped over it because I I know I'm like no that's Jonathan Hickman I mean Rick Remender uh, no 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 so as far as I can tell I read the two last Avengers issues by Bendis short of Age of Ultron type stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, have you have you did you read either issue yet or no? No, I've not. The thing that's hilarious is one of the books, I think it's Avengers thirty four, has him has Bendis talking 
Um, it, it's got it. It ends with a very long text piece talking about how he ended up writing the book and his memories and all the various stuff about it. And it ha- it's it's great because it really for me was sort of like uh, almost a parody of what you would expect um, Bendis <laughs> a Bendis text piece about writing the Avengers to be. In that, for one thing, he. He, he misspells Mark Miller's name wrong, which I love. I, I adore really? that. Yeah, he really does. Let's see. If no one, no one got that. No, that's what I'm saying. Like that's the sort of like crazy attention to detail they went through with this text piece. Is later on when he mentions um, Miller World, he gets it right. But it, when he talks about, uh, maybe he's doing it as a joke. Then uh, I don't think so, dude. I really don't, because it, it's not played like a joke. It's really just about him, you know, because the point is, is he's talking about being in the editorial retreat with these guys, and, oh gosh, where is it? It was it was great, because um, he's talking about how he and Mark Miller were just kind of sitting in on the thing, on, on the big, oh yeah, I was there, as was Mark Miller and a few other writers. And so he spells Miller wrong right there. And maybe someone, maybe maybe a spell check caught it and corrected it or something. I don't know, but I was like... Yeah, that's, that's actually very possible. That, that it was correct, and at some point someone ran it through spell checker because Bendis is legendarily terrible. Oh, he is, which and he it, mentions. And it caught... Mm-hmm that but didn't catch Miller World because Miller World's one word and yeah. probably, it was probably just like okay right right they were like looking at but it's uh, it, but, so I thought that was hilarious he also goes on to talk about all the favorite stuff that he loves about the Avengers which is great he's like I love the Avengers the Kree Scroll War Ultron Korvac George Perez Neil Adams John Byrne John Basima not to mention my number one all time favorite comic book ever Avengers Annual Number 10 by Chris Claremont and Michael Golden okay Claremont and a quick mention by Kurt Busiek are the only times a writer gets mentioned, which I thought was fascinating. You know, like he talks about what a fan he is of the Avengers. I'm like, but all artists, like I'm really kind of like, I don't know what Bendis's deal is. <laughs> As you can tell, I'm going to be obsessed with it. Anyway, what I should say is, is that, um, so I read Avengers 34 and New Avengers 34, and I didn't really like them, but I found myself going, I can see why Bendis thinks that he is the guy that he says he is, as opposed to the guy that a lot of other people say that he is. Because Avengers 34 is the wrap-up of a story that brings back Jan Pym, um, mm-hmm. It's set in the microverse, so it's the Avengers versus some microversy, like a guy whose name seriously is something like Baron Gouda, who's like, you know, who's in his armor battle horse, you know, Pegasus, um, no, that's not right, Centurion, Centaur style, um, half man, half horse, while running around, like, gunning a big gun. And I'm like, okay, he's really trying, he really thinks what he's doing is this love letter to you know while he's sending off the avengers it's like this big action-packed wrap-up set within the microverse but it's just it's just not good like the action is confusing in in the cases of both avengers 34 and new avengers 34 there's a weird jam book aspect that pops into it like um in New Avengers 34, which is the wrap-up of the whole Doctor Strange, Doctor Voodoo conflict, um, 
Doctor Voodoo, Brother Voodoo, Brother, you know, he, he was Doctor Voodoo. Yeah, he was Doctor Voodoo, but then you know, of course, got killed, and Daniel Drum, I think that's his name, uh, ends up, you know, basically swearing revenge on uh, on the Avengers, and is basically able to possess all of them and and have them run around and and uh, you know be kick everyone's ass, and then Doctor Strange shows up. And they have is they have these scenes where Doctor Strange is fighting the other um, possessed Avengers, mm-hmm. and he he and it breaks into this weird. It's it's literally jam pages like they're not even necessarily credited, but like all of a sudden you've got a scene where it's like Doctor Strange fighting like the thing, and it's drawn by like Mike Allred, but just for one page and with no dialogue, and it. I was just like, what am I looking at? You know, like it's really weird. Like a jam book like that, which Bendis loves his jam books. He does love his jam books, but he doesn't. I don't know. He doesn't use them well. I guess no. He he kind of doesn't. Like it, he 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 doesn't. There's not enough connective tissue mm-hmm, there mm-hmm. to make it seem like anything other than a series of pinups. Right. Yeah, I think I think unfortunately that struck me as really the case with that issue. And of course there was also a little bit of an aspect of because it comes out of nowhere and because these are the thirty fourth issues, it's it seems weirdly I don't know. It, it it's not done well and it seems weirdly kind of self congratulatory sort of. And in mm-hmm. you know, and in this weird way of like like you said, he really loves them. But it's presented in this way of like, hey, everybody loves this chocolate, you know, vanilla raspberry cake that I make. And I kind of, it really, fortunately, in the case of New Avengers, it's like thrown right up at the beginning. Um, God, who is that? Is that even Allred? I don't even know who that is. It's it's a crazy lineup. Like, Mm -hmm. is it, because Becky Clinton's in there, Mm -hmm. Harold Dorimple's in there. Mm -hmm. Who is it? It's someone like, is it? I always got her name wrong. I always call her Lucy Knightley, but that's not her name. Lucy Knightley? Uh, maybe. She, but, like, it's, it's, that's what I'm saying. Like, it gets sort of, like, really weird lineup. I really, yeah. I would not expect to see these people in an Avengers book lineup. Yeah. Which I kind of love. I, again, I've not read the book. It could be terrible. Well, I kind of, terrible, yeah. terrible I kind of, but I kind of love mm-hmm. they showed up anyway, I guess. Right. Right. Yeah. Oh, Chuck BB, I guess, and Ming Doyle, which you know, good for Ming Doyle uh, and Lucy Nisley. But yeah, I it didn't it it did the opposite of serving the story, you know. And um, I don't know. Is it just it was just in in each case? I I can see where Bendis is like I'm telling these because both of these stories seem to very pointedly end with big punch 'em ups with big emotional denouements. But, like, a, a great example is, God, the, the Uncanny Avengers, the one where they're in the microverse, there's a close-up of somebody, like, the, a page turn, where a close-up on somebody's face and them going, who? And then the next page is the next page reveal of the person. Happens, like, at least three times, if not four. Like, way too many times for such a really basic, cheap page turn, you know what I mean? Like, really, weirdly, it's weirdly amateurish stuff, is basically the gist of it. It's like, I finished both of those issues, and I was like, yeah, this stuff is really amateurish, I feel, and it can't be because, as he points out, he's done something like 200 comics, just featuring the Avengers, 
you know you you can't take Bendis's output away from him you know but somehow to me that makes it um I judge him far more harshly for his for his inability to kind of I don't know tell something that strikes me as a professional story I guess so <laughs> uh, harsh first of all yes uh, secondly, I want to go back to what you said about art not serving the story because earlier on today, because this is the weird day I'm having, I was doing another of the roundtables for Kotaku, mm-hmm. uh, and we were talking about the Marvel Now books, right? Um, and I said there something that I realised after reading a bunch of them for this roundtable, mm-hmm. which is I think the art is serving the story terribly in almost all of the Marvel Now books. Yeah, and it's not that these are bad artists; mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's that the match of artist to writer in almost every case mm. is a mismatch mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I think uh, I think there's two books that really 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 show that mm-hmm. I should say like the one I think is not the case is I think Stuart Eminem is doing a hero's work on all new X-Men yeah I'm I'm iffy about that I mean I think you're right but it reminds me again somebody in the comments field pointed out that that he may well be to blame for some of the storytelling problems in all new X Men number one, and I remember with Fear itself. Um, oh, he, yeah, no, he, I'm not saying he's perfect. Yeah, so well, I'm just saying, like, I'm I'm sort of I, I I'm stingy with those medals, is what I'm saying. So, uh, okay, then. Yeah, okay. but um, what I was going to say is the two books that I think this is most apparent in mm-hmm. uh, are Iron Man mm-hmm. um, and Indestructible Hulk. I want to talk to you about the Indestructible Hulk. Because I think Indestructible Hulk, I think the Neil Yu flattens that book. And not in the exciting way. (laughs) It's the almost every choice he makes is wrong way. Yeah, but... Yes, but don't you think... and, And it's going to be hard to phrase this in a way that strikes the right balance of giving credit and and sort of wagging the finger but don't you think that that was a pretty lazy story by mark wade standards uh yes and oh. i also think that the setup for this the series mm-hmm. is remarkably close to his daredevil setup well it's remarkably close yeah it was kind of crazy but right. now i'm saying you right. should all trust me you guys right open brackets until i go crazy again <laughs> close brackets um you know what i mean like it's it's the same setup it's yes. the same setup of we haven't trusted this guy before because he's been nuts so but now he's got his shit together except he's kind of not mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and there's there's a i don't know indestructible hulk seemed like a misfire in general but I, th- I think that again I think that the art made the missteps all the more obvious perhaps right I, I can definitely see that Lunil Yu cannot cannot sell any of the important emotions in that comic yeah he just can't he's, he's it's for some reason he seems to have gone into a a space where a, he's actually very bad at showing emotion in general. Right. Weirdly, either disinterested or smug, mm-hmm. and he's far too excited about drama. Mm-hmm. So you have, for example, when Marie Hill realizes the banners behind her, mm-hmm. you have like really tight close up, mm-hmm. and then that's he's like sitting next to her, and it's like that was overly dramatic for that moment. <laughs> 
picture on that page, he's he, uh, when he's like, "I'm not a mopey teenager, Hill. I'm one of the smartest men on the planet," and it, like he is his position in the lighting, mm-hmm. so ridiculously dramatic for that line, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like it oversells that line. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It, the whole thing just seemed seemed off, but seemed all the more off because of the art. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I'm also going to completely steal a Douglas Wolk line. Um, do you have the comic? Have you? Yes. You have, so if you go to, uh, I think it's it's page six on the PDF that Marvel provided. Okay. Um, I don't know what page that is. It's the page where the guy bumps into Banner as he's talking to Maria Hill. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Douglas Wolk said, that page is so confusing because it looks like this guy is trying to bat Maria Hill on her massive forehead. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's totally true it's totally true it it's, it's, uh, yeah. it, but it's just the, it's, the book is full of, of just weird weird art yeah that, that, that makes it hard to read yeah yeah there's and some, some bad storytelling because I feel that Wade's trying to do something more emotionally subtle uh, okay I, I genuinely do. I, you can you can be as cynical as you as you want. I sir. don't mean to be cynical, but come on, the main character pitches his own book to another character. I know, I know. That's I mean that's ridiculously lazy. Like oh, and let me tell you what I'm going to do. But think intrigue and danger, and maybe there will be some sexual subtext between us. You know, like it really was like I'm in a diner pitching this person on where I want to go with my life. The same way the writer pitches the book to the editor in a diner. It just it, it Graham. That's come on. That's there's not there's no emotional nuance there. It's not like Lenel Yu is like, you know, somehow missold Persepolis here. You know what I mean? Like Maybe Persepolis was a fucking great book, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to see Lenel Yu's Persepolis. That would be awesome. No, actually you're right. I don't know. I just I guess I'm giving Wade more credit than he he's due for this. I I I sort of think so, but that's just me. But I but mean, what- the other thing I was going to say is it's also the terrible part of the end where Mad Thinker's like, wait, your strength, it's incalculable. Yes. That's, that's for me, the, the horrific cringe line of the entire book. There were a lot. There were several cringe lines that were terrible, but the incalculable, if only it had been called the incalculable Hulk for the first issue, that would have been the best. Then it would have been great. But it yeah. Be, it's a book where it actually changes this its adjective every single issue oh that would be great they should totally do that (laughs) that would be so awesome ah yeah 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 I would be I would totally be down with that yeah no it was just um you know it was well so so here's the thing on the one hand I feel that it was because we all that shit that I was saying about Bendis not really seeming to be a professional still in so many ways, or less of a professional than he used to be. I feel that at least this was, even though I did think that it was sloppy and kind of not on the mark, I think it was professional enough. I do think that, frankly, with a better uh, artist, uh, or a better match of artists, I think I could see where that would have... I would have bought it. You know, there wouldn't have been as much of a gap there where I was kind of like, ah, that's not... You know, but instead, it seemed like uh, uh, there were enough things that didn't land. So basically, I'm willing to cede some ground with you. What did you think of Captain America number one, by the way? 
what did I think of Captain America number one? Um, that's really hard. I didn't like it, and I'm not entirely sure why I didn't like it. Mm, interesting. I, uh, I thought it seemed really too beholden to Kirby, while mm-hmm. simultaneously missing what made Kirby special. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hated the retcon at the start. Hated it with a passion. Yeah. I, th- I thought that was an amazingly wrong-headed way to start the series, and just kind of a bad idea in general. I, mm-hmm. I think, hey, Steve Rogers' dad was an alcoholic who beat his wife. Mm-hmm. Like, so weird and unnecessary that I can't quite get my head around it. Yeah. Yeah, actually, it was so bad that... Um I was impressed at because because I you had a, a post-it um, blog at Newsarama where you linked to uh, Colin at uh, thinking too much about my comics, um, or is it just thinking about my comics? It's it's too busy thinking about my comics. God damn it! I hate being old. Okay, um, who and and pointed out essentially how um, mistaken how badly chosen it is to have that sequence in with the rest of the book. Uh, and I had that moment of like, oh yeah, I completely, I swear to God, Graham, I read this issue and that scene was, I just excised it from my memory. It was like it did not exist. And I was like, was he? Oh, right, that horrible sequence. Yeah, that went on for like pages and pages. Um, but I, I sort of, weirdly enough, uh, there was enough other stuff in the issue like I did feel that, um, despite its faults, uh, the first issue of Captain America at least moved a lot. You know, it seemed to cover a lot of ground. I don't think it necessarily did it well, which is a problem. Um, and I really do feel like Remender only really has one voice, really. And if Frank Miller shows up to take it back, he's in big trouble. You know? <laughs> wow. But. But I didn't utterly hated it. I was kind of like, I, I was kind of like this issue felt like it was one of the few issues where I'm like, that was good enough as a gimme issue. Like I want to see issue two now. Or same with Indestructible Hulk. Okay, I was kind of like, I don't want to see issue two at all. Oh really? See, I was kind of like, I, I, I was, I was very of the opinion of <laughs> that can yeah. go away forever now. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh, of. Hey, I've read stories that have the weirdness with a sense of wonder as opposed to a sense of dread. Right. Uh, and have some originality to them and do not feel like dirges. Mm-hmm. I, I have... I. This may sound weird for someone who liked the, the Brubaker run so much, but I don't want to see a hopeless Captain America. And this book just felt really hopeless to me. Interesting. Interesting. I didn't... It, Void of hope sense, not the yeah. That, you know, this is hopeless. What are we doing? <laughs> I don't think that was supposed to be a Jerry Seinfeld imitation, but I it totally wasn't. And I could never do it again before you asked. Damn it! Because that was my next request. Uh, I, yeah. What do you think of Uncanny Avengers number two? Um, Did you read it? That's a comic that exists. No, my. Well, let's put it this way. Avengers number two. I thought it was... Did it seem similarly nihilistic and dirge-like to you? No. Oh, interesting. Okay. No, not at all. Um, I thought it seemed just massively wrong-headed in almost every way. Yeah. Uh, 
yeah, it just it just does not work for me on I think any level. To be honest, I I I, I it was <laughs> this is terrible. I pretty much at the start of Marvel and I was like, I'm going to give everything one arc. <laughs> I said she was really me being like, you know what? No, mm-hmm. I I. I I have no desire to read any more of this at all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the thing, weirdly enough, that did it in for me mm-hmm. was the even mind control. The Scarlet Witch will be like, "Sure, I'll help you." Right. I think that was just so crazily wrong. Yeah. <laughs> that I was like, "Yeah, I'm I'm done." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It was just there was just something so incredibly wrong about that in particular bearing in mind Scarlet Witch's recent past mm-hmm. like with the whole I am enthralled to Doctor Doom and like in what the third net story she appears in <laughs> I am enthralled to Red Skull yeah it's like wow you were completely just cutting the legs off this character well I think that's I, again I sort of feel like there's this weird like Getting back to our weird misogyny in the Marvel Universe. Well, yeah, there's the weird misogyny in the Marvel Universe where I think with Scarlet Witch it becomes super, super apparent. Uh, but there's also just a... Um, I don't know. There's like this real... I feel like a lot of these Marvel guys are thinking that they're telling really super high concept stories and they can't really wrap... They really can't see how bad characterization choices undercut that and also the sheer repetition of so many storylines being so similar also kind of undercuts it you know uh do you mean within other things that are going on right now because like the the red scroll time travel thing and the all new event all new x-men time travel thing uh you mentioned that yeah Strike so so weirdly blatant mm-hmm. that i'm like if this isn't connected, that's really weird. Well, yeah, and I just feel like there's a lot of it. There was just a weird, like, that whole, like, the Red Skull's walking around with Scarlet Witch, and like you said, he's going to make her his thrall with his psychic powers. You know, it just seemed, um... I don't know, it just... It, I, I was just like, yeah, this is really... What's the word? It would... It would seem like it was derivative if I actually got the sense that these guys were actually reading one another's works, which I kind of doubt. You know, it just it it just all feels like guys who are trying to work some sort of magic formula, like again and again and again, and just kind of not really paying attention to. Here's a question: Do you yeah. think they can afford to read each other's work given the pace they're all having to work at? What well, seems unlikely, doesn't it? But. I don't know when that Doctor Doom thing came I, out. Yeah, the Doctor Doom thing's a couple of years old at this point. Yeah, so I would think that that was there, you know. I mean, it's it, it's kind of a gamble. I do know that, like, um, you know, I remember back when Brubaker started up with Captain America forever ago. His storyline initially seemed, like, really too similar to a bunch of stuff that had just happened with... Um, when God help us, I think Chuck Austin was writing the book. Like Chuck Austin was having a, a whole sort of like thing of like Captain America was having like repressed memories, or was somebody actually changing the timeline behind him kind of concept? And Brubaker opened with sort of a really similar take, and I I remember being kind of like this, this seems like way too. Mm, 
like too soon after the original run did you like read this original run and it, it kind of gave the impression of he's like well no no i didn't read that original run what the fuck was i going to read chuck costin's run for you know and so i do wonder if sometimes these guys because this was, this was my thing with iron man mm-hmm. like the first issue of iron man was really similar for me as the first issue of fractions invincible iron man right like really, and, but it was clear that he re- like they'd read each other. Well, not maybe Fraction hadn't read Gillen's, but Gillen had read Fraction's Iron Man. Sure, and it was just a really weird similarity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just this, and I don't know if it's just this idea of like, well, here's how you make a formula. You know, it's like, well, we've got a formula, and let's just sort of copy from the best, or if it's just. You know, a, a, a weird combination of these guys kind of like, I don't know, like all going out to lunch and walking away having, you know, kind of like, oh, I'm going to totally do a time travel story and there's going to be a mind controlling person who's totally obsessed with wiping out mutants. I guess that was the other thing. I just had that weird, in Uncanny Avengers, there's some really laughably bad storytelling. Like that scene where um, the guy who really probably should have been the hate monger is talking on TV and everyone's watching him and then they just start killing the people around them or whatever. Yeah, that was kind of out there. It was... It, and the weird thing is, like, you can almost understand what they're going for, mm-hmm. but the way it's done... Yeah. You're just like... But what happened next? Like, there's cops just shooting people in diners? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, I, like, what happens after that? Are these people now, like, permanently hate-driven? What's going on? Yeah. Well, the thing that's amazing is Cassidy's storytelling is so bad. Is on the first panel where that... Oh, I'm sorry. There's two panels. One where... So you've got the panel where the cop walks into the diner and the woman's looking at the TV set. And then you cut to... Um, the african-american guys watching the tv and then the asian couple watching the tv and then back to the african-american people and the one guy's gone and got his got has a knife out like he's apparently has cutlery behind his tv set which i mean i think i know where you're going with that but was weird and then the next shot which is the cop getting ready to take out the gun like for reasons that escape me, the waitress's feet are floating off the floor, and I'm like... she's a mutant. Oh, I'm like, she hanged herself? Like, it was really <laughs> sloppy was storytelling, but you know? The, the, the joke is... The, or joke. The, 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 the kicker. The point yeah. is, mm-hmm. all of these people are mutants. Right. Like, that's why the, the, the guy's horns. Yes. The guy in the, the jacuzzi is like a fish guy. The other one is flying. But like you said, the storytelling is so bad. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's really a bad sequence. It's also really weird. Is it just some weirdly anachronistic? I mean, storytelling's bad, and the idea's anachronistic. I don't know why, but I was just there being like, what if there are three people in the room? You know what I mean? Like, I know that it would seem like a super weird shorthand, but looking at it, the only thing I could think is like, you know, people on Twitter would be on that shit in like two and a half well, minutes. Well, it's just that, like, the thing in the diner. Mm-hmm. Like what the fuck? There yeah. are there are other people in that diner. Yeah, there are other like, people. The fact in that, that diner. there is no, yeah, like follow up to that at all. Yeah, apart from the Red Skull being like, "Aha, my evil plan of evil is working." Yes, yeah, my evil it's plan amazing. of evil. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. No, I it's um 
there's a lot of scenes on Uncanny Avengers that seem to exist just so that they can technically exist, and and that being one of them, and it was just it's just really poorly done. Like I'm just I was just shocked at how bad that was. I'm like. I don't know. I, I it's funny because I don't I I feel like there are a lot of good comics out that I'm actually really looking forward to talking about, but I was really surprised to read Uncanny Avengers number 2 and be like, "Huh, you know, Cassidy taking a powder really early on may be the best thing for them cuz as pretty as some parts of this looked, a lot of it just between the storytelling, but honestly, I don't think Remender's cutting it well either. And I think Remender's got a weird. The reason why I asked about the the dirge is it seems that Remender lends himself really well to nihilism, and so it seems to me like his whole thing of like, oh yeah, it's just gonna we're just gonna take it for granted that everyone's gonna like try and be killing these mutants all over again. It's like, and I'm like, they've been back all of two weeks. You know, it just seems yeah. That, but that's another thing; it doesn't ring true in the book either. Mm-hmm. Like, if mutants are just coming back uh, as of the end of AVX, mm-hmm. is it not weird that like they're working in diners and everything? Like, yes, and like openly, I mean, especially because in all new X Men, when mutants appear, mm-hmm. people go ape shit. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it like there's some massive dissonance going on there. Yeah, the, it it's it really doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. Um, and and it also really kind of had this weird concept to me of like, I don't know. I just yeah, there there's it just seems like there's a lot of people out there who are who think are just sort of like okay, well I guess I know that I've got a slot put slot A into tab B. Here I go. Ugh, you know, and it just doesn't really seem to have mu- very much thought put into it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's almost like as if the you know the new fifty, rem- you know how the new fifty two titles, all of them seemed really rushed because as it turns out later, they they all were really were- rushed. Yeah, exactly. It makes me wonder if there's stuff that's going on here at Marvel. I don't know because of the accelerated publication schedules that they're promising everyone that these people have to turn these things around super fast, 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 and the stories just seem to really be suffering as a result of it. I, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. So, which is, which is, which is a darn shame. I was, I was kind of, the other thing that's fascinating that I, is totally worth me uh, confessing, I, I think about, is um, last week... I think it was last week. Be, you know, beat thanks to the generosity of a lot of, uh, well, several whatnots um, contributing a lot of comics uh, and a variety of whatnots sort of throwing um, their own contributions in. I was like kind of knee deep in Marvel Comics last week, uh, and I, I'm still not even close to reading my way out of them. I went into the comic book store the other day and I looked at the shelf and I was like, oh. Man, I, I came really close to kind of like picking up some issues. Like, I really, I did you read FF? I totally wanted to read FF. I, I read FF. No, you, you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Hips you, you really liked FF. it. Hips thought it was great. I that's great. I I really didn't. It's, it's funny because Douglas Walk loved it. Yeah, interesting. Doug, Douglas Walk really, really, really liked it. Yeah, um, and it it's. It really didn't work for me. I thought Fantastic Four was better than FF. Interesting. Interesting. Um, In part because FF... FF only works for me as a 
as an additional side to Fantastic Four. It doesn't work as a book in and of itself, mm-hmm. um, which I think is a, a flaw in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like it it relies on a knowledge of previous Fantastic Four continuity and previous FF continuity, mm-hmm. even though it's constructed as an introductory issue. Mm-hmm. So you have like page interludes of the Future Foundation kids introducing themselves. Mm-hmm. But doing so with essentially in-jokes that only work if you know who they are. Oof. Which doesn't really work as an introduction. Mm-hmm. But if you already know the characters, then the idea of spending a page to introduce them all <laughs> feels like a waste of time. Do you see what I'm saying? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um... So yeah, it, it's an oddly I don't know. It just it didn't it didn't really work for me. But again, like Fantastic Four, it feels like a really brave effort as opposed to like all new X Men, which feels like a failure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you're going to give it points for trying, even though it didn't work personally for you anyway. Yeah, I'm going to give it a lot of points for trying. Okay. No. Um, and, and interestingly enough, something I said when I was talking to everyone uh, for Kotaku. Mm-hmm. Um, is I wish the two Fantastic Four books would swap artists. Mm. I think Mark Bagley would be much better in this book, hmm. and I think that Allred would be far better in Fantastic Four. Huh. Um, and I, and I don't know if that's because the artists and or Matt Fraction and or the art and the editors are trying to play against type, mm-hmm. or not, but. Something about Allred's style in this book, especially when he uh, there's a conversation between Reed Richards and Scott Lang, and it flashes back to Scott and his dead kid, mm-hmm. and it's done in like a starburst panel, and that is like so weirdly tonally off. <laughs> They're like, I understand you're going for like shock, but it's like that's no, not that shock. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. It it's it it just yeah, it didn't work. Mhm. Mhm. Hmm. Interesting. I wish um well, before we get off this cuz I I realize we've once again run over 30, but I don't I don't know necessarily where to go. I would like to talk about Amazing Spider-Man 698 with you if you if you're game. Go. Well, I read it, and it was interesting for it being the first issue of Amazing Spider-Man that I've read in forever. Um, and I think, interesting, it probably hurt that I didn't think I was going to end up reading it. And so, you know, Hibbs, the day before, had been like, well, I don't know, do you want me to spoil this for you? I'm like, sure, why not? And so he says it, and I'm like, oh, that's kind of an interesting, clever idea. Um, so when I started reading the story, and I should be, I'm going to, have to disclose full spoilers for everybody here, so if you don't want Amazing Spider-Man 698 spoiled, skip over this. Skip ahead for mm-hmm. like three minutes or something. Yeah, check out the show notes at savagecritic.com and you, you'll find out when to jump back in. Um, I I knew that, that 
Dr. Octopus switched bodies, you know, switched minds, I suppose. Uh, that Which final completely changes your reading of the issue. Ye- well, what's interesting was I didn't know when it happened because the way that Hibbs described it was like, yeah, and at the end they switch, but you know they switch uh, minds, and then Dr. Octopus just kills him. And I'm like, huh, interesting. So I start reading the issue, and it seems like it's supposed to be Spider-Man, and I'm like, okay. This seems off, though. Like, I really kind of had that weird moment of, like, okay, has this already happened yet? And, of course, that's supposed to be part of the big um, gimmick of the issue. And I did think that I thought that Slot did a pretty good job of, like, hey, here's a guy who's Spider-Man, but the way that he's writing Spider-Man seems a little bit off. Like, as someone who picked up the book who hadn't read it a long time, I was like, huh, his Spider-Man seems really off, and he's doing all the tricks to make you fall for the idea that this really is Peter Parker inside Spider-Man's body, and yet he still manages to write the character like arrogant and impatient enough that you're kind of like, that seems wrong. So overall, I liked it. I thought the art was weirdly generic to, I don't know if that guy's a regular Spider-Man artist who's been rolling in and out, but I was impressed. He's he's, uh, he's the artist for Morbius. Morbius, Morbius right, yeah. yeah. he's he, He'll be a weird pick for Morbius, I have to say, because his art is super, super clean in a way that reminds me of... Uh, uh, is it Jamie McKelvey, the guy who does... Um, uh, the guy does like phonogram, phonogram and stuff. Doing Young Avengers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, his work strikes me as really sort of clean and well delineated in that way, but um, also suffers from being like a little too staticky, um, which I I think that ha- has happened to McKelvey in the past when he's drawn superheroes and it looks like he's doing some stuff to change change that up. So it's not entirely an accurate representation of McKelvey, but I did think for this issue of Amazing Spider-Man, I'm like, huh, this book has, it's, it's weirdly, um, uh, kind of the way that people complain about Jim Lee's work. It feels weirdly, uh, vacuum sealed or something. So, mm-hmm. um, which I think also kind of helped make the tone feel really weird for me. I'll be kind of curious. Part of me is like, well, A, I'm curious to see what happens with it next and also I'm very very curious to see um, when the switch happened you know because it definitely seems like the idea could be that all of the various bits and moments that we've depending on where we want to start complaining about Peter Parker slot writing a Spider-Man that felt a little out of character um, I'll be curious to see if that really falls into the this supposed long game that he's been playing mm-hmm. I, I think it, it's funny I was really surprised by the number of people who were like oh my god I can't believe you've done that because it seems so much like the chapter one of three mm-hmm. to me mm-hmm. but I think it's a really cute idea mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. do you know what I mean I'm like that's a sure I'm mm-hmm. totally on board for that story right yeah, as I think opposed to you can't believe you've done that oh my god I don't know there was just again that was one of the things where people get overreacted and I'm like why are you doing this <laughs> right right well there is a little bit where I kind of thought that it was interesting that it was like oh yeah okay he's crashing and they sort of walk out while they're trying to to resuscitate him um you know I thought that that had a little bit of a it also I don't know it's weird how 
again, I think this is my problem is, is like, on the one hand, I like the idea that it's like, hey, here's a character that you've complaining has been, that we've been telling stories that where they've been acting out of character, and you're going to find out that we were, like, fucking with you the whole time. And I, on the one hand, I think that's great. On the other hand, there's part of me, it's like, so when Spider-Man walks out with the rest of the Avengers and a guy's just dying on a crash cart, and they're all like, hey, let's go get beer. I'm like, okay, who's possessing them? You know what I mean? Like, because that seems really weird for Captain America to be like, Spidey, you're going to be all right? As opposed to kind of like, why are we walking away when there's somebody dying? Aren't we heroes? You know? They're modern heroes, Jeff. Yeah. Well, that's it. I, I just I just think that there's that weird, like... I would be really curious if I had started reading comics, and especially Marvel comics, like, I don't know, six or seven years ago, or even ten years ago, if everyone would seem to be acting as out of character all the time, you know, as I feel they are. I just feel like everyone's being really plot-hammered into, like, well, we've got a really interesting plot, but it requires that the Scarlet Witch is going to have to, you know, be mind-seduced by... Uh, the Red Skull almost immediately. It's like, uh, really? Is that really where you want to go with that? Why can't I buy? You know. But I have no sense of who the Scarlet Witch is anymore. You know, when when Bendis's you know brilliant masterstroke of um, having the Vision be able to turn around and fight against uh, Brother Voodoo because he doesn't have a soul and he can't be possessed. I'm like, yeah, that kind of works if you ignore everything that you know exactly that's great if you've never read a, a vision story before right yeah if you're if you the last vision story that you read was like i don't know issue 102 back in 1970 something or other it's just i don't know it's just odd yeah it's it's weird here's the flip side to that though mm-hmm. the hawkeye series of fractions doing yes um is I don't think it's Hawkeye in the Hawkeye, the Hawkeye that I know, quote unquote. Right. Um, like it is not the same character that Steve Englehart wrote in West Coast Avengers or Roy Thomas wrote in Avengers or mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. It's still a good book. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like I don't. Th- I think the idea of essentially rebooting a character is not does not necessarily mean that the comic is going to be bad. Sure. I agree. Well, Does that make sense? Yeah, I do. I do. And again, there's this idea of that for the most part, like you throw a couple little foibles and wrinkles in, but most Marvel characters, sort of the same way that there was only three or four types that Bendis writes, a lot of these guys are falling from the Stan Lee archetype of which the, you know, of which there were only about six or seven types there as well, you know. Sure. So Hawkeye, frankly, didn't really talk that differently from, you know, a, a slightly than the Human Torch or or um, Spider Man, right? Or Spider Man or uh, early Stanley issues of Daredevil, Daredevil, you know, like the the sort of the the wise cracking hothead, you know. It's so I don't so yeah I think that there is a way and admittedly for me I'm like eh you know yeah if you can reboot a character with Hawkeye that isn't Hawkeye then you, you know what I mean where it's like a different take on the character like isn't that isn't that viable isn't that sort of the point but there's also a part of me that's kind of like but I've shouldn't but there's, there's a difference between doing that and doing something that changes their inherent nature is what you're saying well no actually I was just going to say that there's kind of 
you have to be careful how, how you do it. Otherwise, the idea that there's an inherent nature to these people, these characters, gets revealed as just an illusion. And it's an illusion that has sold a lot, a lot of comics, you know? And it's a kind of a mistake to, I think, change it up, you know, depending on where you're going. And there's part of me that's like, you know, for my own personal greedy purposes, why Marvel, why Matt Fraction and David Aja can't tell you know, a story about, you know, a guy who uses bows out in Brooklyn, you know, that can be whatever they want him to be, you know? Uh, you mean the sense of it does not have to be Hawkeye? It doesn't have to be Hawkeye, yeah, exactly. If it was if it was issue seven of Bowman from, you know, Image Comics, of course, part of me is like, great, I'd be able to read it, so you'd catch me complaining about it less. But you know what I mean? Like, there's kind of this thing of, like, there's this weird... Once you do this idea of like, well, I'm rebooting this character and I'm changing around to make them more in line with the times, like, you know, it just becomes closer to the very obvious, like, hey, we're just, I'm being paid good money to to maintain a trademark here. Correct. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're almost an error for this one, Jeff. I know, I know. Should we... Are there other Marvel comics? Should we should we go into the terrifying there's, there's fraction? One, there's one zone, more Marvel or? comic, and okay. I will do it very quickly, which is Iron Man issue two. Oh yeah, which I read. Yeah. Again, should have been issue one. Uh, I think it's a much stronger issue than the first one, even though I accept that the first one sets up the like Uber arc. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the reasons I think this one's better in a weird way is that so many characters spend so much time in armor, mm-hmm. and so you don't have to deal with Greg Landface. Mm. And I have no idea where this came from. Part of me would love to see Greg Land with different inkers and different colorists. Hmm. I've started wondering whether it's actually Greg Land or whether it's the people that they pair with Greg Land. Hmm. I'd love to see what would happen if he had uh, a colorist like Laura Allred on FF, for example. Someone who played with more flat color. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd love to see what would happen if he'd had an inker um, who was more interested in texture. Hmm. and less in making everything glossy hmm. and whether that would stop the photorealism that's such a problem uh, maybe maybe I, it, that, I, I, an unexpected maybe it's not Greg Land's fault right I mean don't get wrong he's still the guy who's doing all the tracing right but I wonder what would happen if you pushed him outside his comfort zone and surrounded him with people who did not inherently sort of underscore his flaws. Interesting, because I I definitely feel like all the stuff that you're talking about feels like everything that's propping Greg Land up. So it could be a a classic like, yeah, what if you're right? We have to destroy him to make him better. Yeah, 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 I definitely definitely see that. I found found this issue really boring, I think. Really? Yeah. It had lots of armor fights and stuff. I had to read it twice, because I gave up halfway through the first time. Did you? Yeah. I was like, I'm not getting this. And then when I read it the second time, I was like, this is great. But the first time, I was like, yeah, I, I don't know what it is. I just put it down to me not being in the right mood. Huh. Could be. Could be. I mean, I don't know. I just I just kind of have this weird... Yeah, I d- it didn't work for me, I guess. I think part of it was there's such a huge... The whole Arthurian overlay thing just struck me as... I don't know. Like, I, I, it didn't do anything for me. That was it. I just, for whatever reason, I really just have to bow out. I, I, it 
it seemed like a pretty decent Iron Man book. I guess there were lots of fights, and there was a certain attempt at characters attempt. That sounds so bad. There was, you know, <laughs> so so crazily patronizing. I know. Hey, at least he tried. He tried. He really put it in. There was such an attempt made at characterization. No, I mean there was. I'm sorry. What I mean is, is there was actual characterization happening in the dialogue while you had the fights. Things were predicated on who the characters were, you know, like that actually generated the conflict, you know, the stuff that makes good storytelling. And yet I was just, I was so bored and weirdly annoyed by all of it that, uh, that I wasn't even going to mention it. So I was like, okay, I read this Marvel comic. I'll just, I'll just not say anything. We can just, we'll just, but, but since you did mention it, uh, so you didn't like it the first time, but then you dug it the second time. Yeah. I know, but it was honestly like I was reading a completely different comic. Hmm. That's why. That's why I was just convinced that I, I was in the wrong mood because I've mm-hmm. done that's happened with many other things. Yeah, it could be, could be. Um, I'm just like, yeah, I'm not feeling it this time, and then I go back to it, and I'm like, this is great. Right. What, including something that I I've grown to love incredibly, which is Jack Kirby's Silver Star. Oh yeah. Holy I, shit. I told, that's exactly the direction I had Silver Star. Mm. The first time I got like halfway through, and I was like, "This is turgid." I love Kirby, but this is terrible. Right. And the second time, I was like, "This is beautiful." Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of weirdly sublime, except for the parts that really aren't. But like, yeah. amazing shit. But but I but again, I yeah. I really had the reaction of, you know, I I don't want to be reading this. This is terrible. This is this is appalling. Right. And then I go back, and the only thing that has changed is my mood. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that that was entirely the thing with this. So when I mean when that happens, I generally always put that down to me as opposed to a fall of the material. Well, I think that's really smart. I think that's really smart. So, and yeah, yeah for people, I would need, say Iron Man Two was really good. Right, it, dude, you pretty much said that it's the Jack Kirby Silver Star of the Marvel Now line. I totally did, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> there you go, everyone. I, that's either a compliment or an insult, depending on how you feel about Jack Kirby Silver Star. That's right, exactly. <laughs> So we can uh, only hope that a small child shows up playing a mandolin and singing anti-war songs <laughs> at some point. <laughs> that would be great. Sort of wandering about. Mm-hmm. Oh, that'd be so great, Tony. Tony, come back to me, Tony. Where, where, where have you gone, my special friend? Oh, that would be awesome. You know, we should press through and talk about other comics. Is what we should do. Okay, but we we have to take a break right now. Do we? Yes, in part because I desperately need to go to the toilet. <laughs> Because we're at an hour, and it's going to start going crazy. You're right, you're right. It's actually... Well, it's interesting, because I'm like, no, Graham, this is the opposite. It was worse at the beginning, and it's better now that it's in an hour. But you're right. Something will go horribly wrong. So (laughs) let me give you uh, two minutes, and then uh, we'll be back to talk more stuff. This break will actually represent me going to the toilet. (laughs) I'm trying to edit this stuff out, and you're making it so difficult. You're so difficult. Yes, everyone, this is the one where Graham goes, we. So... (laughs) Did I say we? (laughs) Talk to you in a couple of seconds, everyone. (laughs) Bye. Thank you podcast audience for allowing me to go and take care of that.
And we're back. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, Graham, if I was an yeah. actual person who could uh, plan and schedule things instead of just an, an inveterate time waster, um, I would maneuver us into discussions about the whole um, Grant Morrison annotation of the Alan Moore um, series, the series of articles about Alan Moore, Superfolks, and Grant Morrison that happened just last I, I, Saturday. Th- and then you would have an even greater sigh for me than you would with the James Gunn thing. Oh yeah, exactly. Well, I sort of, I was kind of like, I don't have much to say about this other than I thought it would be a very fun way to sort of move in to talk about uh, Batman Incorporated number five. So maybe we can just do that. Okay. Uh, what did you like, Batman Incorporated number five? I liked Batman Incorporated number five a lot, considering how much I dislike the end of Batman Incorporated number four, where, in fact, the first page of this, where he's basically saying, like, yeah, if you become Batman, everything falls apart. Like, if they just kind of had that at the end of number four, like, as I recall, number four was just a little too vague for my dumb bones. He was just like, no, you can't. And I'm like, what? And for whatever reason, this issue, the context of it, where it's like, yeah, because if you keep doing this you end up fucking things up as the Batman of issue 666 or whatever. It was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. And I really loved that callback, I guess. I loved that 666 was the future that Batman, that Bruce Wayne saw when he was traveling through time like from Return of Bruce Wayne. I don't know, I I did not expect that, I guess. Mm -hmm. No, exactly. Mm -hmm. That callback and, and tying everything up. Yeah, exactly. I thought that that was it. That was the part where I was like, "Oh yeah, I really like this," and it was amazing. Just that one extra little bit, spin page, whatever they could have done to four. Like I turned the page and I'm like, "Oh, I get it now," and this is great. Um, I'm not necessarily sure if it was great, mind you. I mean, the thing that I find fascinating <laughs> is is that. Well, here's the thing. I enjoyed it tremendously, but like when you say that that Morrison sort of, it's a callback, but. But it's not but necessarily. He also sort of set it up. It's, yeah, it's not the right word. Yeah, it's a it's a very weird word. Well, because you know, because once again, Doctor Hurt comes back. You know, we've got we've got the devil and the hole in things appearing and basically winning at the end of the issue, and it was kind of that weird, like, oh, he's back again, kind of thing. Like, it's interesting to me. Like, Morrison has been doing Batman long enough now that he is. Um, He's having fun playing with the cyclical nature of things, as far as I can tell, in a way that strikes me, um, in the way that I always felt like his whole, like, oh yeah, I really intended all new X-Men to be a commentary about how nothing ever changes, from the very beginning, kind of always struck me as a bit like shite. Like, this really does, like, this issue both struck me as fitting in perfectly with the rest of his run and arguably maybe saying something new about it, which I found odd. Like, maybe even commenting on his Batman run, the nature of corporate-owned superheroes, and and striking some note, maybe, unless I'm reading it entirely wrong, that's not quite as despairing and grim as the end of All New X-Men, but isn't exactly a happy dance either if you know what I mean no totally I also thought he was commenting on and maybe this is just me reading into it what's happening in the other Batman books well I was going to ask you 
because because you've got the Joker virus. Also, I thought it, there was a uh, Walking Dead mm-hmm. thing in there as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, yeah, no, right, exactly. I don't know. I just I, I thought it was a really weirdly smart yet also gloriously dumb story. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Because yes. I mean, at one point, he, like the gorilla is the greatest biochemist. And he was like, oh, you brought it in, and I'm turning into the Joker too, which is just dumb. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But it worked. Mm-hmm. Well, it worked. I think it helped because the whole speed of which with which the issue is told serves it so well. Like, if it had been even a two-issue, like, you know, flash forward, it would have been long enough to where that would have seemed dumb but in fact yeah his whole like oh he brings in the last human baby but no it's a carrier I was like I fell for that I was like that totally works for me even though yeah if you think about it for a second which I didn't until later it was like right they wouldn't even think of you know any sort of quarantine that just seems absurd like running around in a world with a virus did it seem but the other nature of things is 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 this issue a poke in the eye to what Pete Tomasi is doing over in Batman and Robin, or no? I didn't see that. I saw a poke in the eye to Scott Snyder with his little Joker thing. Oh well, there was there there was the Joker thing there, but I, I guess not so much a poke in the eye as in like, oh yeah, I'm taking the piss out of things, but just kind of like, if I understand it correctly, the long game that Batman's been playing since coming back. Bruce Wayne Batman coming back is he knows that he's got this massive fight with Leviathan coming and he has to he is more or less keeping Damien from becoming Batman and therefore I guess the ideas that he's supposed to have been trying quite actively to deter him like doesn't that seem kind of the opposite of well if not the opposite no no so I I think you can plug it into Batman and Robin in the sense of I mean, you can't in the sense of I think he's trying to tell him in this issue of Batman Incorporated last issue that he can't be Robin anymore either mm-hmm. but I think you could definitely have a reading wherein he allows him to be Robin but is not willing to let him become Batman right because especially in the quote unquote New 52 mm-hmm. DC Universe Robin is not a training to become Batman Robin is a training to become something else because you've got Nightwing, you've got Red Hood, and you've got Red Robin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Robin is essentially like an apprenticeship, but you don't become the main guy. You don't become the Batman, essentially. Okay, well, that's that's good to know, because I found it kind of like a, oh, this is, um, this is Morrison kind of commenting on stuff, but he's also being like sort of solipsistic and self-contained in a way that doesn't seem generous. Like, I kind of went, huh, I don't know if this really, if Pete Tomasi would read this issue and be totally pissed off that none of this had been mentioned to him or not. You know what I mean? So, Mm -hmm. I... Well, I I feel that Batman Incorporated is becoming increasingly uh, its own thing. Yes. And, And separate from the rest of the Batman books. Well, it's separate from the rest of the Batman books, but there is this weird way in which... uh, You know, 
I don't know. I just I kind of had this weird feeling reading this issue, and again, weirdly, with that appearance of Doctor Hurt popping up and and his plans falling to fruition, kind of that idea of like, huh? You know, I was so impressed with everything that that Morrison had done with Batman R.I.P. and the Return of Bruce Wayne, of making making that be really a by the end of it it was like he i really felt like oh he's trying he's really casting a purification spell you know grant mm-hmm. morrison is actually working a, a a magical spell on batman to exercise him of his demons you know um and so to see this issue where the demons are back and everyone you know the the devil wins and also just sort of this weird characterization of essentially every, like literally Batman Incorporated is this little self-contained thing and here's a story about Arkham Asylum being this self-contained world you know thing with everything being trying to break into it and yeah, corrupt it exactly you yeah. know it seemed to have some sort of strange weird meta context maybe not but you never necessarily know with Morrison that was kind of like yeah I tried to do what I could but everyone's going to basically do take everything that I did and turn it into just the crazy maniacal blood bathory that I was trying to avoid you know and it's all and kind of like and it's all Damien's fault <laughs> you know like <laughs> like I'm not sure where if he really does think that it's like yeah my mistake you know like the Damien Wayne character is really like that he is the sort of the hole in things like he's going to be the one thing that everyone's going to seize on from my entire 90 issues of Batman and and no one's actually going to take any of the, the good stuff at all mm-hmm. like the purification well, spell did not work the one thing that this issue really made me think might be in doubt, I guess, mm-hmm. of the whatever was the original Morrison run, mm-hmm. is that Damien will survive. Mm-hmm. Because really, from this, I got uh, Damien should die at the end of this arc. Yes. Feel. Yeah, very much so. Uh, and I'm not sure that's going to be possible anymore. Right. Well, I think you might have made too popular, especially yeah. if Morrison is leaving essentially DC as a uh, as a superhero writer. Yeah, at the end of it. you know, I, I don't think they'll let him kill him. Right. Which again is that weird. Which is where I felt like the weird meta text in this it's, is. Here's a question: Did it remind you of Days of Future Past? It did. It did. And, that I'm worried that it will be Days of Future Past. I'm worried that it will do exactly what Days of Future Past did for X Men, which is. Instead of showing this dystopian future and then saying, "But it's not happening," mm-hmm. it's now going to be the thing that people, the writers, are in the future will be like, "Oh my god, we're getting closer to huh. Damien of Future Past." I don't think so. It's funny you mention that because I kind of feel like the you know because honestly, if Marvel was doing that, they would have done you know, and back in the day, they did flirt with. Uh, it's going to be the Batman of, you know, Dark Knight Returns, you know, um, yeah. and and I, you know, I, I, that that thing got replaced with for the longest time. Oh my God, we're turning into Kingdom Come, right? 
Exactly. So I think there's always going to be that little tantalizing bit. It's to be a future for DC to be like, this is it! Yeah, exactly. Exactly. When things are getting crazy, and Jeff Johns is more than willing to play that particular hand again and again and again and again. So I don't think they are worried about it. I don't necessarily think Morrison is, is worried about that. If it had been another title, I guess I would be more worried, but I sort of feel like Batman is... By by putting um, by Morrison putting his sort of nihilistic fantasies like really like this is this does take the Batman six sixty six and ratchet it up into a world that seems really unlikely anyone's going to be rushing to emulate anytime soon. Um, I just felt, and again, I could be mistaken, that metatextually he's say he's talking about the way in which. Um, that there's a very coded, frustrated, I'm going to lose the game again message in here that is that is not necessarily so um, agonized. It's just a little more grimly resigned to it, even as it's seeded into, no, the story's actually going to end somewhere else, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but like you said, I don't, I don't see because even if it is that thing of like, I don't really, I don't think they'll kill Damien. I don't see why they could why they should kill Damien and Morrison really built the character as being one of any umpty number of clones so that it would be very hard to close that escape hatch if somebody wants it opened Mm -hmm. you know so but I like the issue tremendously actually I thought it was you know it was amazing considering Batman Incorporated it's a real roller coaster ride for me I go from really really disliking one issue and then really adoring the next so it's going to be interesting where that ends up for me or if that ride actually ends up stopping mm-hmm. did um <laughs> thanks to a remarkable number of strange um clusterfuckery things i didn't read action comics 14 until just yesterday uh, do you remember it? Oh, the, the, the Doctor Who issue. The Doctor Who issue, yeah. It really seemed Doctor Who-y. It's really Doctor who isn't it? Yeah, like almost to its detriment. I, it, I Well, to its detriment, I actually kind of had one of those moments of like, Grant Morrison listens to the Wait What podcast. <laughs> because remember when I, like way back when I was watching Doctor Who and I was like, oh, I understand why you guys like Superman now because Doctor Who is totally Superman. And you're like, no. You know, that's... And then you get this and you're like, oh shit, Doctor Who is totally Superman. Yeah, exactly. I'm kind of back to going, okay, but he's close enough that they can do an audition tape? Like it really was, again... That was it was one. it was astoundingly Doctor Who esque. It really was, wasn't oh, it? Yeah, and oh, yet yeah. I loved it. You know, I wish I had loved it. I loved all the Doctor Who parts, um, but it just seemed like uh, it just seemed like Morrison was like, yeah, this is the one story that I thought I was going to be telling as an annual three years from now, and now I'm just getting it off my desk. Like it really seemed to jump from. You know, the previous issues where we've got a Superman who basically is barely just starting to do some super stuff to him flying like, well, I'm I'm flying to Mars and I'm like finding the metallics. And then the, I think the other problem was when they pulled out the, uh, the Mr. Mitzelplik guy out of the spacesuit at the end. And, and then it 
again, just like is in Batman, ends up turning out to be the devil, you know, the uh, five-dimensional devil. I was like, you didn't, it didn't feel a little rushed to you? <laughs> oh, no, the the, the uh, Mr. Mixel-Pitalik thing at the end is totally... I'm off this book in a couple of months. Uh, I've got to yeah. get this shit done. <laughs> yeah, it really did. Uh, part of me was kind of like, okay, I can understand if you're doing one thing and maybe there's something else where he's going with somewhere where everything that you read in the first half plays into those last three pages. But those last three pages, I was just like, what the fuck? And again, I'm like, if it's not Doctor Who, it's going. We're going to find out that, that Grant Morrison is doing some sort of very strange meta take on Stephen Moffat that will only make a lot more sense in, in um, the next issue. Because I do have to say, I haven't seen a ton of Doctor Who, and most of what I've seen is you know is almost all the Moffat stuff. But Moffat stuff is notorious for like, and then just when you think you've got it figured out, I'm going to turn it totally up to bat shit in the last two minutes. Have fun. You know? And it was, it was what I also liked about issue 14 is the backup story. <laughs> so you, the end of the issue is like, I'm going to kill you, we're on Mars! And then the backup story is like, hey, remember that thing that happened on Mars last week? Superman who said we Mars again? Yeah. We've got satellite footage of that. And it was really was like, really? You couldn't have just lied and said this happened before the first Yeah, story? why couldn't it have been before? Why did it have to be after? I think other than, to me, that's one of those weird elements of, like, Grant Morrison turned in the script and the editor was kind of like, ah, uh, Grant. Um, and him's going, can't change it. And he's like, all right, fuck you. <laughs> like, you know, just... I'm going to tell Charlie Fish that, the, that his story takes place after the Mars thing, and that's not going to be a big problem as opposed to a big, awkward fight. So, um, yeah, odd. Odd stuff. Odd. Yeah. But I liked it. I, I liked the issue in general. And, you know, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Who doesn't love Neil deGrasse Tyson? Who doesn't? I don't like his vest, though. What do you think of Flash 14? Did you read it? Uh, I did read it. What did I think of it? I thought it was alright. It reminds me again, I really like reading Flash in a big lump. Yeah. I mean, I read individual issues, I'm like, huh, so that happened. Yeah, yeah, this was the second one, second, or at least second issue in a row, where I was like, I, like, I'm picking it up and feeling like I'm miss, missing an issue in between, even though that I'm not. I'm kind of like, huh, so Gorilla Grodd has, like, Super speed, huh? Nobody thought about how ridiculous it is to watch a gorilla waddle at super speed. Okay, well... Well, to be fair, they kind of did. Didn't that, isn't that actually like a line in the book? Is it? <laughs> is it not? It probably is. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I was just... Uh, uh, okay, not only is Grodd a giant talking gorilla with advanced technology and super strength, but now he's that he's got note of speed force energy, he's really fast. Kind of overkill, if you ask me. I mean, that's pretty much an acknowledgement that it's dumb. Well, it's an acknowledgement that it's overkill. But, I mean, but that's it. Gorilla Grodd with super speed is overkill. When you actually think about, considering how they go to the lengths of showing how gorillas walk, you know, brachiate, and then having it, then showing him run, I'm like, okay, but how? You know what I mean? <laughs> really, really well. <laughs> he would look like, it'd be like watching Every Which Way But Loose, but at super speed. You know? I have no problem with that. Oh, there we go. Fine. Uh, other yeah, books, it, it, it was not. Yes. It, no, was it was not, not great, great or terrible. It was. Right. It really was just like, huh? So that exists. Okay. Good to know because I really was kind of very. Huh. I, I'll be curious as to what Graham thinks. I was worried that you would love it because uh, part of me is like, then I know I'm really doing <laughs> it, it wrong. Nice. Yeah. I am. Um, 
slightly concerned about what's going to happen to Flash when Francis Manipal takes off for a few months. Interesting. Yeah. You know that's happening, right? No, I didn't. Um, he's, t- he's taken off three months after the storyline, I think. Oof. Entirely. No mm. covers, no layouts, no co-writing. Wow. And who's coming in? Uh, I don't know who's taking over art, but Brian Br- uh, Bruticello is, is sorry, Bruchelato is um, taking over solo writing. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Uh, yeah, we'll see. I can't think that I'm around that wrong. I, I thought that the the is that guy Wally West scene played off was was sort of sculpted very well. Um, maybe you disagree. I'm I'm kind of concerned that Wally West is going to turn out to be the reverse Flash. <laughs> Really? That seems that seems a bit um, fan servicey, I guess. Mm-hmm, totally. But we'll see. And it, it's kind of like overwhelming every time that. But he's not called Wally, is he? He's, he's called something else. He's not like Rick West or something. Well, the guy who the guy who in this episode was running around going, "Come on, come on, Wallace! You're the only one who you know cared about me." And I was like, I was like, oh, I hadn't even thought of him as possibly being Wally West. It turns out it's, that he's because he had different name when he appeared before oh i thought they hadn't shown his name now he's daniel west or that, yeah daniel west yeah. so he's like wally's dad in theory possibly well then that would be crazy so there, wally is actually tiny to small child well we'll see yeah we'll see he's slightly older and he's shown to be a ne'er-do-well he could have a very young teen son like they could make kid flash really like a really good but we have a kid flash just don't forget do we over in Teen Titans or something? Yeah, yeah, we already have a Kid Flash. Wow, New Fifty Two is so fucked in so many ways. <laughs> Jesus Christ, that's amazing. But we can have a new impulse, Jeff. We can have a new impulse. I know, I know, but that's again just as bad. If yeah, worse. yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, did you read Judge Dredd issue one? I did not. From old IDW. Yes, um, I. I would not say it's something you have to run out and and grab to be perfectly honest with you what's interesting my my 2000 ad love which is newly acquired has me considering some strange things like the last two weeks i've been at the comic book store i picked up that batman versus judge dread hardcover mm-hmm. repeatedly despite the fact that i think that i at one point maybe had all those individual issues and, and never <laughs> read them all of a sudden i'm like oh but i could have all these in one place i'm like i didn't read them the first time yeah but you like judge dread now yeah but what do you like about judge dread jeff but i could have them all in one place you know so it's like <laughs> what you like about judge dread right now is al ewing and henry flint yeah absolutely spectacular well yes Yes, absolutely, and also in the context of surrounded in the rest of the wrapper of of two thousand yeah. AD. Yeah, yeah, it's it's just the uh, it's not that it's necessarily a bad dread story, but it's also just not a particularly good one. Um, and it happens to be unfortunately coming out at the same time that dread in two thousand AD is spectacular. Right, right. So it's really so, kind so of really sort of comparison. underscores the, mm-hmm. huh? Yeah. So this is this is all right. Uh, it feels very it feels very much like uh, this is a story that would have been in like a 2080 summer special mm-hmm. in the 80s mm-hmm. but drawn out yeah uh, there's it, it's interesting there's kind of a weird yeah I'll, I'll be curious to see if they can pull off American Judge Dredd because I just feel like there's kind of this weird context in which Dredd like despite the fact that Dredd is not necessarily a character in which canon and non-canon stories are important to the character, 
there's sort of a weird part of me is like, yeah, but the American stories don't quote unquote count. You know what I mean? So it it really does have to be one of those things of like if you if it's somebody and this this may be tipping my hand as far as insider knowledge goes. If it's somebody that you know is a super huge Judge Dredd fan who's an American who's finally getting their shot at telling a Judge Dredd story after being a super huge fan forever, but you know they're American and so never really got their shot at it, that makes some sense to me. But if it's just, I mean, you know, Dwayne Sersiski, great guy, I just don't, unfortunately, he would have to go really far for me to believe that he was doing it for something other than just, oh yeah, I like the character okay, and yeah, okay, I like money okay. You know what I mean? So. Hello. So so don't read that then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not great. It, yeah. it, you're not missing anything or not missing anything right. by that. Um, I have to tell you that I don't know if this is an official contest that people have, but Cliffhanger of the Week for me mm-hmm. is Angel and Faith, issue 16. Oh yeah, which had a genuine. I did not see that coming. Last page cliffhanger. That was, it was one of those. If you don't fuck this up with the reveal next issue with the explanation, right? Then that's really smart and great. Okay. Um, and continues the fact that I think that Crystal Gage and Rebecca Isaacs have been doing by far the best of the Buffy books. Okay, are you going to? Tell me, or do, do you want me to? It's one of those things sure. that doesn't really make a lot of sense unless you're reading the book. Mm-hmm. Listeners, Jeff will put something in the timestamp so that you can fast forward to, right? Uh, if you don't want spoiled. So the setup of the series so far has been at the end of season eight, Angel killed Giles. Right. Angel has spent the entirety of the series so far finding pieces of Giles' soul so that he can resurrect Giles. Mm-hmm. He at the beginning of this issue find something that will restore Giles' physical body and call the parts of his soul back to him. They go to dig up Giles, and Giles is not in his coffin. Okay. It turns out Giles was never in his coffin. Okay. Uh, The story then takes a sort of sidetrack where the Slayers show up, confront Faith, go, I can't believe you've teamed up with Angel and by the way, one of our team is dead. We know you're trying to bring Giles back to life. Bring her back to life instead. Mm-hmm. They refuse. The Slayers then go off to meet someone else and they're like, we hear you're good at bringing, bringing people back to life. And the last page is, it's Giles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah, I've had some experience about that sort of thing. Uh, mm-hmm. Which is really nice. If, the, mm-hmm. if I like the... First of all, I did not expect Giles to be alive. <laughs> right. Uh... But I also like the idea that the entire series has... Everyone who's been telling Angel that he's an idiot and he's on a fool's errand, Mm -hmm. he really has been. Because Giles has not been dead this entire time. Huh. Huh. Interesting. Interesting. We'll see see how it goes. What I'm worried about is it will turn out to be someone who A, looks like Giles, or someone who's possessing Giles' body. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which would both be kind of disappointing. Yeah, it's tough, because I'm sort of like... It feels like if you do that sort of reveal you have to stick with it because you're like only joking (laughs) well or or you have somebody that you're actually you know because i'm sort of like wasn't there who was that dude who was like giles's sort of ethan rain yeah the the his brit arch nemesis or whatever Yeah. yeah ethan rain okay well don't i imagine he'll be involved or whatever um 
I can't say the cliffhanger was great, but I do want to make it a point, since I've been such a neggy pants for this entire podcast, to mention that I really, really liked both Witch Doctor number one, mal- uh, Witch Doctor Malpractice number one, and Multiple Warheads number two. Both terrific comics. I still have not read uh, Witch Doctor, although it is in my pile. Oh, uh, Multiple Warheads, however, I have read. Yes. Uh, agree i think it's i thought it was uh, even better than issue one yeah which it strikes me as astounding um it just seems much more assured and i don't know if i feel that way because pretty much nothing happened in it if that makes sense mm-hmm. but nothing happened it's so stylishly well but it's your definition of what do you consider nothing because there's actually mysterious dudes killed. like i had that same thing of like oh nothing happened but there's that amazing sequence where those lizards run rampant over the cliff and attack the car and the car goes over the edge. I, like, guess, I guess my definition of nothing happened is the core characters are pretty much unaffected by everything that happens. It's it's near misses as opposed to something events actually changing them, I guess. Yes, well I guess I guess that's it. Is like that seems to be the the, the definition of something happening. Yeah, well, I was going to say, yeah, I, I suppose. I mean, mine is is like something. It seems like there is stuff that happens, but the overall effect, like you said, is is that the characters are unaffected by it, you know. And so, I mean, Graham has always been operating really far outside that sort of traditional screenplay structure storytelling. You know what I mean? So, um, so it's no surprise. That, that this continues that trend, but I was still nonetheless impressed by I don't know, like the sequences, like the sequences that were kind of actiony were so actiony, or that there was a lot of different texture to the book. Um, I think the other thing that was amazing to me about the book was, unlike a lot of other comics, where it's like if you don't sit down and read it at the deepest level you don't get much out of it per se is like I felt like I skimmed multiple warheads for the most part I didn't spend a lot of time like trying to decipher a lot of the lettering this time around um, Mm. on things and yet it still worked perfectly as a story and still had so much um, ambience and and texture to it you know Mm -hmm. it continues to be like a fantastic travel comic um, which is amazing because it's a travel travels through entirely imaginary places. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, yeah, I I think that's one of the things that makes it an amazing travel comic, I guess, mm-hmm. because you can you can surrender the idea of is this giving an authentic experience, mm-hmm. or does this have fidelity with the reality? I guess, right, and instead just concentrate on the the journey concentrate on the experience concentrate on the the way the story is presented Mm -hmm. yeah i suppose that's true i suppose that's true uh it's funny i think interestingly enough for me it's it ends up doing those that weird level of sort of the same way a travel comic has at some point some some verisimilitude that wins you over it's the same way with multiple warheads in a way that you know that kind of is like I don't know it it just worked anyway I think in a weird way the mundanity which sounds like the wrong thing to say about multiple heads right but there there's there's a and I think it's because God is it Nikolai mm-hmm. Nikolai and Texka are 
not bored by what's going on, but also like the difference between the way that they're reacting to what happens to yes. them. Yeah. And the way the main characters of Saga react to what happens yes, to them. Yes, exactly. Oh, that's a great, great comparison. Because, yeah, they they are... There's such a matter of factness. And, uh, yeah, it's like and if they're going they on go, a road trip. And then they go and have a bath. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And there's that that gives you the reality. That gives you the grounding. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think that's it. Is is like you know when you when you go on a trip, you know there's all the amazing things that you see, and maybe there's the scary encounters. But yeah, in Saga, everyone's running around yelling, and in multiple warheads, they're basically looking forward to the next batch of new food that they can eat and the bath that sure. they're going to take. Exactly, well, and and that you can you can really latch onto that. Yeah, because that is yeah. Exactly. I've had that vacation. Mm -hmm. Exactly, exactly. We've all had this vacation, even even though um, we haven't exactly had like lizards jump on our Russian speaking car, necessitating us to to go into underwater mode. You know, Um, or have we? (laughs) I'm speaking purely for myself, apparently. So, Uh, um, did you read or pick up masks? No. The Chris Roberson, Alex Ross, Dynamite team oh, up. Team up sorry, the shovel <laughs> and the Green Hornet. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I did. I don't know how it ended up. It ended up at the top of the pile and ended up down at the bottom of the pile as I shifted around books. I did. What did you think? Uh, I liked. I read digitally the review copy which has review copy only written all over it oh really that's really <laughs> so funny. i found it difficult to read on a practical level mm-hmm. um i liked it mm-hmm. i surprised myself by really liking alex ross's art in it mm-hmm. i have real problems with alex ross's art normally i'm like god damn it stop painting yourself in front of a mirror and then getting your friends around to hold up lights yeah. um but i really appreciated that with these characters it worked for these characters. It helped that most of the characters, I thought, actually looked like characters as opposed to his friends, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. I, I, exactly. Mm-hmm. The shadow actually looked like the shadow. Yes. To, like, you know, here's his friend who normally dresses up as Superman. Right. Um, exactly. No, but you know, like, he really does. Whatever he does, DC characters, you're like, and there's his friend, and there's his other friend. And, mm-hmm. you know, whereas yes. this is, you're like, I, I can believe that's the shadow. I can believe that's Margot Lane. I can believe. The one I couldn't mm-hmm. was Kate. Yeah, Kato was kind of an odd, odd, odd I, man out Kato that way. Kato really weirdly in it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I liked the story, but I also got. I wish there was a bit more grounding to it, I guess. Yeah, it was, it was way too sort of slippery, streamlined. You know, it. it I, I wanted to more. I wanted to know more about the world. Yeah, like I, I liked it as a, I liked it as a story. I liked it as a as like the introduction as the first issue. Mm-hmm. But also the there was just and again it was the Cato scene that it really popped out for me. Mm. Like, I feel like it was shorthanding the, the idea of a, an altered status quo. Yes, as supposed to giving me enough information. Like I felt frustrated by that scene. I was like, but, but why? Like. Mm-hmm. It's. It feels as if like it's not just that the laws are different here, but the people are also dicks, <laughs> right? No, right. do you know what I mean? Like it felt like a moral shift as well as a legal shift, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, which may be the intent, but I feel that that wasn't really reflected enough elsewhere. Yeah, you know, agreed, agreed. One of the things is is that this story tries to do a lot in a very short period of time. 
Um, and on the one hand, I appreciate that rather than just sort of, I don't know, spinning in circles, it gets down to it um, and covers a lot of ground. But it's it's it is it's 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 a bit too frictionless like never have i it's been a long time since i've read a first issue where i went oh man if only they double size that you know what i mean like they really if they double size this first issue because as it is it has a real like you said it seems to take for granted that that yeah all people are dicks or that the world is a a much awful place like right from the get-go and I think, weirdly enough, part of that is that um, I'm, I I think I'm I, I think if I was the editor, uh, I would have spent a little more time uh, maybe pushing Robertson with some of his his scripting because although you get a very dramatic opening with right out of the gate with uh, Cato and the Green Hornet and the Shadow. Um, you don't really have much of a sense of what the world is supposed to be like, you know, like you said, like, is it the, the world of the pulps or it's a, it's, you know, the pulp novels that I read were pretty apocalyptic, I guess, you know, like there was always a strong sense of, um, things are always going to go to hell, but for the most part, corruption wasn't quite as, it was. It only seemed overwhelming, sort of in the aggregate. Like if you read a whole bunch of shadow novels or a whole bunch of Doc Savage novels, and admittedly, I haven't read any of the Spider, the original Spider books, which may be very different. But you know, generally, there's a, the status quo is taken for granted because it's they don't have really a lot of time to. You know, they really have to just hurry up and get that status quo in peril, I suppose. So, you know, and, and ultimately it turns out that the, the mass supervillain ends up being like a crooked commissioner or a crooked councilman or a crooked police sergeant. But, you know, mm. but here it's very much the idea of like, yeah, the whole world is run by crooks and, you know, um, Robertson, I felt like Robertson was playing with, uh, you know, he's got that quote that's like all but out of a Bob Dylan you know, uh, song lyric uh, toward the end there, which is something like some, you know, s- sort of like when, when, what is it? When the, you know, only outlaws will have justice when justice is outlawed or something like that. Mm-hmm. Hang on. I'm finding my PDF. Find you find that PDF because um, I probably, per- you know, um, totally said it completely incorrectly. Let's see. This might be a. Uh, the worst part is I totally know the line you're looking for and I can't find oh here it is if the law is unjust Britsen then justice must be an outlaw you know and uh, and and they point to the Zorro thing and I was kind of like the thing that I liked was I was also sort of like I'll bet you dollars to donuts that Chris Robertson had like worked in the like you know Alan Moore's like justice like the eagle must go masked or whatever (laughs) you know like whatever that watchman quote is i'm like huh maybe that's an issue too like maybe he's just going to work in all the best lot you know lines about like outlaws and vigilantes in here um it's hard because you know robertson on the one hand no obviously knows enough of his history to be able to say like yeah you know there the the vagrancy laws back in the 30s and 40s were horrible 
you know, and it was like crazy racist and crazy corrupt in some in some places in the world. On the other hand, it also wasn't quite the place where it's like you can have one dude in New York and suddenly one super fast newsreel later, like they have, you know, shock troops, you know, it just kind of isn't somehow it's not the world isn't wasn't that way back then and he doesn't quite give you enough of a sense of what the world of the pulps is supposed to be to have that be a place where it can take place like okay so here's a question for you mm -hmm. do you think that he can fill that in the other issues because my it's funny that you said you know i wish this issue had been double sized Mm -hmm. right because my response to not getting every all the information i wanted in this first issue was pretty much i'm expecting to get it later on the series Mm-hmm. And this isn't the first time I've had this reaction. There have been other things where it's been limited runs, and I've been like, okay, this first issue, I'm kind of a bit lost, mm-hmm. but I'm pretty confident I'm going to get it before the end. Mm-hmm. As opposed to, I'm trying to think of something else that I've read recently. Oh, Bendis is on New X Men, mm-hmm. where it just feels skipped entirely. Right. Like, Masks, I believe, by the end of the series. I will have the grounding I want as opposed to on your X-Men I don't think I will yeah maybe uh, the idea of a limited story versus an ongoing series sure uh, my problem with it is that I kind of felt like unless I'm wrong I feel like this, the 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 proper place to put the statistics to show you the status quo is before things change you know, and and so, I mean, admittedly, there's no reason you can't, you know, start with a meteor res, but the kind of, rather than starting from the scene of them, say, fighting the shock troops on page one, they go with, you know, they encounter these guys, the shadows, like, yeah, things are going to go to shit, trust me, uh, and then you sort of, the rest of the issue is kind of seeing what he says sort of come to pass. But for me, I kind of don't feel like there's enough of what that world is was previously like there there is kind of that sequence with the uh prosecutor in the courtroom where he's like hey this doesn't feel right to me and the judge is like yeah but what are you going to do the law is the law and and then you know and that scene is kind of goofy actually where he's like uh where he's like if you don't i'll have to hold you in contempt of court and it would have been kind of fine if they're hand I don't know why they broke out the new speech bubbles for the guy going for pointing out that the law is broken you know kind of thing and they haul him in contempt of court and they drag him off and he's like this is wrong can't everyone see that and it's kind of this weird thing of like okay so is the prosecutor an outlier or is or is it you know a situation where he's one of the few that hasn't been grabbed by the body snatchers? You know what I mean? Like you don't know. Yeah, but, and I can't but in see that where sense, that's going do to be not like is your response that not? Well, I guess I'll find out because I'll find out if there's body snatchers. Well, uh, yeah, I'll find out I, if there's body snatchers, but I guess I still won't necessarily have a very good sense of what the world was like before it, it goes to seed. And on the one hand. I don't want something where it's bendicized and dragged out the status quo 
and you get, you know, an entire first issue that is utterly, utterly disposable. But, I don't know, I just felt like there was a little bit more of kind of like, okay, but what kind of, what view of the 30s are we supposed to be looking at here, you know? And, uh, like you said, we may find out as we go along, but even then, I guess my argument, and I could be wrong, is is that if you find out that there are body snatchers, so to speak, there's still not necessarily enough of a stake of what the world was like before. And who knows, maybe they'll, maybe you can, you can, like you said, with, with as, as books go on, because is this, this is an ongoing, isn't it, or no, it's a mini that's no, a mini. It is a mini. Okay, so I I would be surprised in a way if by the end of the mini you're going to get that you're going to have the luxury of being able to show like this was for better and for worse this, where you were supposed to show what things are like um, and how they changed and then by the end you'll see the scales rebalance in theory if if the heroes win but I don't know I don't know. Uh, that being said, I still liked it a lot and thought it was pretty well put together. And like you said, I really thought that Alex Ross really sold the work in a way that was quite enjoyable. You know? Yeah, and was uh, un Alex Ross esque. Well, it was kind of uh, yeah, exactly. It, it, or, it was, put it this yeah. way, my enjoyment of it was very unusual. <laughs> Alex Ross work. Yeah, I think that's fair. I would say that's that's certainly very fair. Um, okay. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I feel it's never quite, you know, uh, a podcast unless I bring up steal steal a point from Brian Hibbs. But one of the things that I thought was really funny, and he'll probably have done by the time I post this an entry saying exactly the same thing. But he's like, I don't understand. He 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 was talking about masks. He's like, you've got masks, which is an instance where you have Alex Ross actually doing the interior art. He's like, why would you put variant covers to masks where there's where the where somebody other than Alex Ross doing it? You know, he's like, I can sort of understand maybe Jay Lee, but he's like, when twenty five percent of your covers are, you know, Adrian Siaf. Why? Who's going to be buying the Alex Ross book for the Adrian Seoff cover? You know, somewhere there is someone. Maybe I don't think there's. I don't think there's twenty five percent of the audience. Yeah, yeah. I kind of don't think that there is either. So uh, he was. He really was. It was kind of a good point. Well, actually, the Shadow Wraparound Retailer Incentive Covers by. Uh, they keep saying it's Ardian. A-A-R-D-A. I think it is Ardian. See, I just thought it was a typo the first time I saw it. But yeah, so no. I no. think it is actually Ardian. So yeah. Probably it is Ardian. I've just, I've just um, checked them. for his website, which is definitely Ardian. Ardian, so. please forgive me. I assume that you were a girl instead of Lebanese or whatever. Ardian Siaf also did the black and white retailer incentive cover the uh, and the retailer heroic exclusive cover is by Mel Join San Juan. Um, so I don't know. I just I'm not sure that I'm actually understanding how the the how these variant covers work anymore. Dynamite, you've you've definitely got me confused here. <laughs> so answer the question, Dynamite. Dynamite. Also, an, a blank cover. That's so you can get sketches done. Is that that's like yes. a thing? That's that's Marvel's been doing that for some time. Really, man, I have yeah. just not been paying attention. 
comics. I, I think that's a bad one. <laughs> Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Well, so um, so I think I've hit all the points I wanted to blabdy-blab about. There's actually a few more, God knows. Um, <laughs> but I think that that's enough from my We, we have to stop. Yes, we have to stop. Block. I know, I know. It's one of those terrible things where I'm like, we actually took a skip week, I read comic books, and then I'm like, oh my God, Graham, I've got so many things to talk with you about. We didn't even get a chance to bring up the things that I was sure would get us in trouble. So I Which guess- is possibly good yeah, I think so I think at one point I was going to interrupt and ask if you wanted to talk about those things but really I, I think common sense prevailed for everyone's sake <laughs> well let me just say separate from that maybe one day we'll bring up that controversy um, I'll probably talk with you about Mike I, I will mention to the readers uh, to listeners fellow whatnots that I, I read over the last two weeks volumes 8 through 18 of uh, Hikaru no Go, and that was awesome. I have to say, like it, there's something that's just great about being able to sit down and read, thanks to the library, getting five volumes at a time, and just enjoying the story so much. I was unable to basically stop reading. You know, it's kind of that weird, like, comic book as warm bath thing that you seems like you don't. I don't get that often. Um, it was really great. Anybody who wants to read a manga about Go, the Japanese version of chess, um, definitely. Uh, it's. I'm not sure. Apparently it goes on past. It seemed to have a very definite conclusion at the end of Volume 17, so I don't know what they're going to be doing for the next five or six volumes. But man, that first, first 17 volumes was just really enjoyable reading, I really have to say. Went some, went some places I didn't expect... Um, and of course, the art's gorgeous. So, I think you'd really like it, Graham. I, I totally. We do not have time to do this because I totally have work to do. However, I really want to ask you really quickly: mm-hmm. What do you think about Shonen Jump Alpha going day and day with Japan on some strips in the new year? Uh, you know, honestly, um, uh, see, and you, you're like, oh God, he's already dragging out his answer. Um, uh, uh, the short answer is, I'm kind of. I have my doubts about Shonen, about Viz being able to do it properly. When they launched Shonen Jump Alpha, they were only two weeks, three weeks out from Japan, you know, with the stuff that was being published. And they ended up basically sort of screwing up my my enjoyment of Bakuman greatly, because I went from reading volumes to jumping something like ten volumes ahead you know, as far as the serialization goes. So so part of me is like, well, so if Shonen Jump Alpha is going day and date for some of the strips, and they're not doing that now, does that mean that I'm basically going to get the three week? you know, basically... Are you going to lose three weeks? In yeah, am I, going to get, am I going to lose three weeks, or are they actually going to go to the effort of translating those three weeks and jamming all of them into a, a, a digital omnibus for me? If they if they do the omnibus option or whatever they do such that I don't lose anything, great. But for me, the idea of like, I'm basically, the strips that I'm following, I'm going to lose two weeks or three weeks over something that doesn't matter to me and I'm going to have to just, they're basically going to just do a, oh, but look on our website to catch up on what you missed. But not now, but like two months from now. We'll totally have it up for you. Honest. Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. 
I'm a little I got I felt a little burned when that first launched. But if it if it keeps I'm just glad there's going to be a second issue of Shonen Jump Alpha. I'm really have been it's been a great reading experience over the last year and I'm really looking forward to having a second year of that. And if that ends up helping it, then great. I'll sort of I'll sort of take one for the day and date team. Does it seem like a thing that struck you as uh I noticed you'd covered it, mentioned it in a few posts, but I wasn't really sure what your angle was in a way. I just, I think it's, I'm not so much interested in it as uh, I'm following Shonen Jump in Mm -hmm. general, as much as I think it demonstrates even more so the potential of digital to change things from being a domestic and international market to a comics market. Right, right. Which I think is a really positive development. Yeah, I think so too. For me, the real test is... Because I kind of have that thing. I I think on the one hand, you're right. I'm just also, part of me is very much like, I want to see where 2000 AD digital is a year from now. Like, are those those needles going to move? Because in fact, you know, I had to, you know, it's... The 2000 AD distribution model is significantly broken as far as i can tell through you mean the print yes through print here in the u.s so if they can convert some of those people to digital i don't feel that it's going to be quite the taking money out of retailers mouths because i i feel like so many people were just so frustrated with the the whole thing that they weren't they wouldn't if they weren't following it digitally they wouldn't be following it at all i suppose mm-hmm. yeah um and so therefore part of me is like okay does that mean like do you have a market uh, you know it can can you grow a market strictly with more or less just a can you convert that that market to digital like when digital has almost every advantage except it's not piracy and I think ultimately that's what it boils down to. Like this is something that Hibbs and I were spending a lot of time sort of blabbing about based on his link bait uh column uh recently in Savage Critic where he, he linked to uh the lead of Galaxy five hundred talking about the really terribly, terribly low amounts of money that he earns. Yeah, it was horrible, wasn't it? It really was. I was like, Oh Jesus, that is so much fucking worse than I ever could have imagined. Uh and also contrasting that with um uh, the image guy, uh, which one was it? Is it? Oh, it Jim's up. Jim's up. Thank you. Um, you know, posting his breakdown of the economics behind uh, behind uh, a five thousand issue or so comic book. Really, really sobering statistics. Um, and and so, of course, Hibbs's whole thing is is kind of like so. Why why is anyone going? Why is anyone sort of really putting any effort into the digital marketplace um, if if these numbers aren't paying off for anyone? And it's like, well, because you have... Because neither is print. Well, part of it is neither is print, although print, in, you know, according to Hibbs, is, you know, at a certain level doing well, but not at those 5,000 levels, but that's, of course, where he's saying that people shouldn't be publishing anyway, so it's pretty easy for him. But there is a thing of... Um, 2,080 people, like I say, are you going to go... Can you convert the people who are who want to read that book from 
either A, not reading it because it was too difficult to pick up the physical issues, or B, from people who've been pirating it because they still want to read it. You know, and I do think that there is that thing of like, you know, ultimately the argument that I don't think really gets addressed in in the Galaxy 500 issue is like, if those things didn't exist, would Galaxy 500 be making just as much or would they be making nothing because everybody would just be torrenting it? You know? Yeah. And I, I, and I, I don't think, I don't think we know the answer to that. So, in that sense, Shonen Jump Alpha really does tie into this idea of, like, they're like, we're going to be day and date because the pirates will then have no excuse. And I have to say, considering what they are pricing it at, considering it is only $25 for or $28 for a year worth of weekly comics at 100 to 150 pages of an installment... There really is no excuse. Like they really are like that. One would hope that that really would put the pirates, you know, to be like, okay, well, I might as well pay. Except it's still not as good a price as free, you know. Yeah, that's the problem. Yeah. You'll have people who just be like, but I can get it for free, mm-hmm. and that that's that's the end for them. Yeah, but I can get it for free. The end. Yeah. Well, and that's that's really what I think that we're having to to worry about. I mean, this is this is the thing that I I think um I won't get ironic because I know that you have a lot of work to do, but I think that uh at some point, hopefully even on air, I would like to talk to you about this this kind of thing that I've been sort of wringing my hands and worrying about, which is that essentially the creative arts with quotes wherever you want them has essentially undergone the same equivalent that the industrial revolution did for food and for you know manufactured goods in a way that we are still i think sort of coming to terms with that that i think a lot of us don't maybe realize so that you know the things that we think we're doing, you and I produce, you know, all the writing that you do, even this podcast is just part of this like new world where every creative act is being pumped out on essentially at a, at industrial lines type speed. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's just the rate of we, manufacturer has reduced the prices of everything down to nothing. We should talk about this net next week because I've been thinking very similar thoughts about things Aha. okay well uh, so listeners as if this episode was not jaunty enough tune in next week <laughs> and it would, when Jeff and I will try and remember that we said we'd talk about this next week <laughs> and not just go off on a tangent for exactly Be like, which let's face it might happen if well, we remember we will talk about how um, the internet has changed culture Yes, you know we'll, we'll start small. How how culture became an uh, became a widget on on, on the new industrial um, manufacturing line, and weirdly enough, isn't All Star X Men shipping next week? Number three, is it? Yeah, all new X Men. I think it's. I think we've got another. Two no, weeks. I know, but you should check it because I think Hibbs actually said, "What the fuck are they doing shipping issue three next week?" So it's a bi-weekly uh, uh, book that I, may I be weekly check right next now. week. Hang yeah. On. Let's see. In case people really want to know what we'll be talking about last next week, you you are of course assuming I'm going to be buying all new X Men. <laughs> it does. <laughs> Holy shit! It's issue three ships this week. Next week, people. What the fuck? So that's where I'm going to leave that. Wow. 
Okay, we're um, we're going to take a break now while Jeff and I gossip about the thing that we didn't talk about, but we emailed thinking that we're going to talk about basically with a, should we talk about this? People are going to be really mad at us. Right. So yeah, I'm teasing something that you don't even know what we're talking about. Um, but we'll talk to you next week, listeners. Thanks for tuning in. And remember, sleigh bells, Christmas lights, um, Andy Williams, and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Yes. Uh- Ha, 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 ha.